ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. sitting down for the uh peanut squad goals <laughs> episode this is our post dr long range kind of wrap up podcast episode the intent i really had was to do this you know kind of post camp if you will um but i wanted it kind to kind of settle in right i wanted it to kind of vegetate and everybody really look at the takeaways and digest the takeaways i know mine after class you know after Qual, and then after the graduation, as I thought about it, you know, over the last couple of weeks, it, my thought process has really progressed in terms of a ton of things, the the value set, the equipment, uh, the ethics involved in it. So I'm glad I did it like this. So we'll go through, do some intros. Uh, ladies first, of course, we're going to go how we were paired up as spotter and shooters. So uh, Miss Carrie, take it away. Hi, I'm uh, Carrie Kirschberger, and I'm representing the upper left U.S. here out of Washington State. Still, you oh, were her teammate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Savannah Munoz over here in Southern California, you know. I'm Trevor Bud. I am representing the wonderful state of Wyoming. Hoo-ah, Wyoming. I love you. I love Wyoming. Ginger's from Wyoming. How can it, you it's not? It's pretty all right, but don't tell anybody that we're we're full. We can't hunting have sucks. Anybody. The hunting sucks, but the gingers are great. Gingers here. Hey, guy, Wyoming didn't like us though. This is this is true. This is true. But the hunting sucks anyway, so forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, D. Hi, I'm Diego Terra, and I'm from a small town in Tomania, Mexico. 
Tater. Hey, what's up? Um, hey, Hale. I am from the southeast part of Ohio. Uh, I teamed up with Tate, uh, Mike Burnside. I'm in uh, northeast Oklahoma, not that far from where we had where we had class at. Go ahead, Drew. All right, Drew Rhodes, originally from Ohio, now unfortunately Southern California. You can't always caveat it. <laughs> hey, I'm caveating this. She can't. You can't look at. Okay, let, let's let's. I'm gonna I'm end qualifying, this. Bro. I'm gonna I'm end qualifying. this charade right now. California has phenomenal hunting. It has exceptional hunting. Yeah, it has some political oh, issues. I have nothing against the California. But hunting. so does. But so does Oregon, and so does Washington, and so does Virginia, and there's a ton of states. I'm sorry, I started this. I should have never said California. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, my unfortunately being from Southern California now had nothing to do with the hunting because we have amazing hunting opportunities here, completely overlooked and underrated. Heck yeah. Completely it's everything else in Southern California that I hate. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So we're going to touch on, you know, we all, we all shared a weekend. I don't know. What was that? Three, four days um, in Arkansas, Missouri, Oklahoma. Um and and you know put some time into some some long range steel shooting which was it was quite eye opening uh for me in 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 a few aspects right um it's something that i wasn't totally naive to but it's not something that i approached with any type of seriousness right um and I think there's all kind of reasons, but we'll get into that. So what I want to talk about first is why LR, what's, you know, what drew each one of you. And I'm sorry, Carrie, it's going to be hard for me not to go lady first on everything. And I'll try and break that up. Um, maybe we'll start with seal. We'll start like lady first and then biggest sissy man first. And then we'll just go from there. So if you don't mind, Carrie, this will be the last one. I'll try my hardest not to always go to you first, but why, why long range precision rifle? All right. Well, for me, the long range was just a really, really wonderful opportunity. My, my goal with that was to just expand my comfortability and my, um, ethical distance uh, to reach out there a little bit more um, for opportunities at deer and elk. Um, it was the difference between 50 yards multiple times in terms of my comfort level, not necessarily my ability to hit hit a target out that far, but my comfort level to be able to squeeze the trigger on an animal. Um, it, it was the difference between me bringing an animal home or not. Um, and so for me, long range was about uh, being able to put that a uh, that period at the end of a really long and exciting adventure, um, like many that I've had where I've, uh, I've missed that elusive elk. I'm a deer specialist, obviously, but those, uh, those wily elk just don't like to let me within uh, 300 yards. And had I been comfortable at 350, 400, I'd have a couple of really beautiful animals on the wall right now. So I was looking forward to the opportunity to get that foundation and that comfort level to reach out a little bit further. So with your, with your 350 to 400, what, what would you say, what would you say your effective kill range was prior to DR long range? And, and I'm sure it's tempered right way down from what our max shooting was. Where, where do you think you're at right now comfortably? Uh, so originally I was at about, uh, 300 was kind of 300 to 350 was really starting to push for me. And now, um, with, uh, 
with the different setup, because obviously we'll get into um, factory rifles or different munitions and stuff that we brought. Um, I brought a 243 to the course, which I'm obviously not going to poke out there at the ranges that we are shooting. But with my 270, taking the information that I got in that course, um, I have no doubt that my ethical range has probably um, increased to around 700 yards at this point very easily. And and, and I'm going to start it early on so everyone understands. We were we were shooting out to 1260. Uh, qual day, our furthest target was 1010. 1260 was just like a kind of a free for all. We had some free, you know, free shooting time if you had uh, if you had rounds to burn. And I believe everybody, just about everybody took it out to that 1260 mark. Um, so just to kind of qualify that, um, Diego, what you got, buddy? Um, so my main goal when we were there was to, like Carrie said, feel comfortable at shooting farther, uh, yardages and, uh, it changed over time. Like the first day I figured it out that it was a little bit easier to shoot farther, but then uh, my main focus went to spotting and, at first it was kind of hard and then I figured it out in MOA and then uh, I got switched to Mills and that took a little bit longer than MOA but I figured it out and uh, it worked out good and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not glad but uh, Trevor's scope it was kind of good for me because now I know how to uh, take care of MOA and Mills. So. Yeah. So T, were you? I thought you were. I thought you were mill, and then went to Sills rifle, which was MOA, right? Was That's it? correct. Okay. Met the oh. rifle that I started out with was mill, and then we uh, apparently uh, the guy upstairs thought that Diego was doing too good with mills, so he he <laughs> moved <laughs> over to MOAs. So, which was pretty. Uh, <laughs> It was pretty phenomenal, right, to watch to watch Diego perform the entire weekend, right, to keep up with all of us. But to see him go from from mill calls to MOA calls and and have to do it like that, and yeah, there were you know, and I'll qualify it, right. Um, there was a little bit of help, but the way that Ron and his staff do it is Diego. What what was Ron saying? He wants you to be a what? Uh, he wanted me. Uh. To be, he wanted so to be independent, not dependent. Right. So, and that was phenomenal, man. To to watch a guy just flip the switch, and and get that, and and then hear that steel ring, it was uh was pretty daggum impressive, in my opinion. Drew, what you got, I, bud? I think for me, I mean, I said it at the course. Going into it, I knew I could shoot, <clears throat> but it was really eye opening what I didn't know. Like I learned real fast. I would never use my opticals correctly, like, or my optics correctly. <clears throat> None of the stuff that I thought I knew was right. Um, you know, going into the course, my main concern was the spotting aspect of it because I knew I could shoot. Um, and it, it turned out that is where I did struggle a little bit. Um, Hey, hey, easy with that. I, I can see you. <laughs> um, but as far as the shooting aspect of it, I learned real fast that I like mill better. Um, <laughs> I liked it better so much. I've already bought a new scope and it's already sitting upstairs, just waiting to be put on my gun. So... <sighs> 
the the biggest point for me was how easily Ron and them were able to teach us how to use our equipment properly. We said it multiple times in the class. You don't know what you don't know. And by the end of day one, I knew what I didn't know. Hmm. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So, Mike, before we before you get into what your expectation or excuse me, YLR, can you touch on what Drew was just talking about? A little bit and then because i'd like to hear that too from from a couple of you guys you know uh, i went and just i probably you know my cut range was probably around three to three three fifty you know and i had uh my you know being from the midwest a lot of mine it consists of prairie hunting and doping the wind and the spin drift uh, those are things that ron uh enlightened me a whole lot on things I hadn't considered. And the wind drift was the biggest concern I had going in. Being here in the Midwest, right where the jet trip's coming through, we may have, you know, we may be hunting in uh, our rifle season with wind miles an hour. And so, of course, that makes you want to get closer. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, you know I, I went in not knowing like Drew said, man, I, I learned real quick what I did know. <laughs> that first day, I was there was a lot of information that I had not even considered or, or took into account. Go ahead, Tater. Um, YLR, um, I think I might end up being like a worse person to talk and, and get information or maybe one of the best. Because if I'm honest, it was about meeting Ron and you guys. For me, like YLR, um, he had reached out before my elk hunt with the state outdoorsman a few years back. We just been able to get out there. And then we started building a relationship. I see what kind of man he was and all of you. And it was about just challenging myself. Um, in Ohio, we don't aren't allowed to hunt with rifles other than with predator hunting. So I'm a diehard bow hunter. The longest shot I've ever taken, and, and with a black powder rifle, it's like 160 to 180 yards on a white tail. So this was so far out of my, I guess, comfort zone and the style I hunt, but the ease in which they teach what they teach and it's the team style of nobody left behind you felt comfortable to ask questions and from a guy who like i said his longest shot 160 108 yards with a black powder rifle to hitting 700 yards with bronze 308 uh, yeah that's that's more than I would have ever thought I would have done just at 700 yards. And I kind of got bit with the bug already talking to Ron. We do have like one rifle. It's a 22250 setting it up and start predator hunting more because that weekend definitely bit me. The sound of that ringing the deal for sure. Yeah, there's no, there's no way, and I've tried multiple times. Even got the, the mountain archery fest shoot coming up, man. I cannot turn off the. Uh, 
what am I going to buy? Am I going to get a Kestrel? Am I going to redo my stock? I know I got to redo that sticky bolt that's in my rifle. Um, it is just, there's no yeah. way to shut well, it off. You know, it's yeah. just, it's crazy. I, I attended a high school graduation party and uh, one of the, the boy's brother, he's like, oh yeah, I got a 65 Creedmoor. You want to shoot it? I was like, well, hell yeah, man. Let me see it. Had some steel set up out in our cornfield and just that one shot and hearing that steel ring again for the first time, I instantly like wouldn't shut up about all you guys that run at the beach and told them about the class. Uh, they want to see the study books. They're interested in going as a father son. So, yeah, it's, it's just a cool weekend. Awesome. Go ahead, hey, T. Hey, let me jump oh. in. Let me jump in real quick on something. Hey, Tate. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but you can hunt with a rifle in Ohio now. It's got to be yeah, a smooth uh, wall cartridge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I do the muzzle loaders anymore with the straight wall cartridge. You're, you're shooting pretty well just as far. And I think yeah. you have to knock down power with, you know, great setup and through the black powder, which I don't, like I said, I took my muzzle loader with one this year for the first time. I'm, I'm more of the sticking Go ahead, Sorry see. about that. I <laughs> Shut up, Drew. Go ahead, see. Um, <laughs> I guess why, why long range for me to start with? Like, I here in Wyoming, obviously we we've got some wide open spaces. Um, going into the class, I was comfortable shooting out to 350, 400 all day long, and that's that that was dealing with wind or so i thought um the idea behind going to this class was to gain a better understanding of how to effectively and efficiently go about engaging ethically engaging those animals out to those distances and past um with with the class and the style of teaching and everything that was done there i'd say now comfortable distance for me between 750 and 850 all day long it's uh it, it was an eye opener for sure. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of untapped potential in the optics that I think all of us were running. That uh, you know, just just that first day of class, everybody got their eyes opened within the first couple hours of of actual classroom stuff. Not to mention what happened when we actually got behind the weapons. Yeah, it was pretty crazy how fast. Seven hundred, six hundred. 800 got like shooting 100 150 like you lay down behind it after that i mean what do we you're in class for four hours you know classroom session then you're shooting and you're stretching it out that afternoon and you're like wow this is this is no different i mean the first rounds okay yeah the first rounds were a little bit like yeah it's out there that's a poke but then you settle in and you're like this is brazen this is absolutely brazen Exactly, and that uh, that deer target that you you posted the video up the other day that uh, what what was that? That was nine oh three nine hundred, and that was that was one that everybody had fun with, yeah. really everybody. And if you would have told, I think any of us before that class that hey, you guys are going to be shooting a nine hundred yard target for fun accurately, I, I think everybody would have called you out on it. <laughs> and 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 not just a nine hundred yard target. That was a that was a real life-size deer target with life-size vitals and i think almost all of us put it in the vitals if not heart shots alone well it was people were stinking that heart yeah it was i wouldn't say it was a 
deer life size target. It was a white tail, so it's a pseudo deer target. Look at Tate. Look at Tate. <laughs> yeah, I'm wrong. Go ahead, Sil. Ah, uh, wild long range. <laughs> Mainly started because of Arizona for me. When I first started hunting in Arizona, a lot of the animals I needed to go after were past what I thought was ethical at my point, which is like 500 yards. Joining this class, it probably pushed my range. Just like I think what Trevor said, 750, 50, I'm comfortable taking an animal. It, the way Ron, Denise, they all made it seem so easy just to understand your scope and how you want to be on your rifle in general. It, that's helped out significantly for me is being properly set up on my rifle in order to take a shot at that distance. Yeah, like Phil said, <clears throat> setting, setting up on, that's the thing I didn't know about, proper setup on a rifle. I mean, Ron taught us right away. You know, I, I, I corrected a lot of bad habits that I developed over my lifetime that first day. And, you know, it's tough to increase my accuracy, just uh, them telling us how to do it properly. You know, that, that was the thing that, you know, looking back on it for me, that's the only thing, right. Is, is now how do you, how do you translate that setup outside of going to LR2 next year, but how do you translate that setup into hunting season this year? Right. Because a lot of what we do out here in the West isn't, you, you can't take that prone position. Right. And, and yeah, it's absolutely stable. It's a beautiful thing. So now it's for me, at least it's about, you know, pressing some of these rounds that I didn't take with me um, and getting to the range and trying different uh, different positions and, and translating that now further down. Uh, and I think we saw some of that though. You know, we, we saw another position when, when Ron was shooting off of, uh, off of, uh, part of tape. yeah, part of tape there, um, you know, and, and then in translating that into season. And what's funny about that is, is that I'm, so I'm not going to even BS it. Like I'm, I'm okay right now. I would, I would take an animal at nine, nine fifty without, without even thinking that there's a there's an issue with the shot like it doesn't no if ands or buts i'm not worried about it i'm totally confident in it that that animal would drop um i want to translate everything i learned into this this fall i mean me and drew are we're pulling rifle tags this is the first time we've pulled a rifle tag in what seven years eight years something, something like, like that. that well when what we went Shasta. to Shasta. Yeah. I think I think that was the last time, and that was 2016. Oh, sixteen? I thought it was like 2013, 2014. No, it was no. like 16 or 17, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, I mean, just translating that. Carrie, how do you see that? How do you see it, you know, playing into your season this year? You pumped? Oh, I am so stoked. I'm already thinking because you know I have I have my secret hidey holes here in Washington, and I'm thinking of the train already and all of the different spots where I know the animals come through and where I can play Overwatch now from those distances that we've specked out. So I've I've pretty much in my mind envisioned killing bucks at about twelve different spots in my my basins and my hidey holes from from different locations. So I'm. <laughs> I'm I'm ready to put it to use for sure. I'm envisioning the success this fall, and it's looking pretty. We better get those pictures first before they go on IG. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The uh, 
the opportunity. Trevor, did you are you uh, did you put in for uh, any home tags for elk or? I'm going general tag. Uh, I've had there's a, a general area here that I really like. Um, I've hunted it a few years and um, I've pulled a couple nice bulls out of there. And there's some absolute monster muleys up there. So that's uh, that's my plan for this year. And it's you know kind of similar to to carry. I'm already assessing. Okay, if I go in in this area, uh, just map it out. Do kind of a a range card as soon as I get into position and figure out. You know where I want to take them at, have the ranges all set, so that way, since I don't have the amazing spotter going with me, I'm going to have to do all that on my own. Mm-hmm. But I'll, uh, I, I think the work that we put in now before it's it's crunch time, I think that's going to make all the difference, especially with all the knowledge that uh, that we all gained from this class. It's just going to make it that much easier. So one of the cool aspects, one of the cooler aspects, in my opinion, was. <laughs> Now Mike can translate everything that that he learned over the course of that weekend of that course, not just to his hunts, but to Kenzie's hunts. So, Mike, how do you see this playing into into Cowgirl Kenzie's hunts coming up? You know, uh, it's going to be huge. You know, like I said, uh, with her hunts, we're, we, we're a three person team. I'm aiming the rifle. Somebody's helping her with the uh, vacuum tube and the safety, and then Kenzie's firing the gun. So there's a uh, realistically there's a five second lag from the time I say I'm I'm on target. So uh, me staying on target, being comfortable comfortable position, gripping the rifle right. I mean it it takes my effective range out. You know I don't know what that range is because I'm still like you said we're not in prone position. You know, I'm uh, I'm shooting off a, a bipod or shooting stick, something like that. But uh, you know, it helped my range at least in those sort of situations. And what we're dealing with, 100 to 150 yards further than what I was before. So you know, anything that would be within our range uh, is in our sight view is now in range. You know, it 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 made a. It made everything a possible target with when we're hunting with her now. Mm. That, you know, that, my, oops, sorry. I was going to say on my on my like I said the prairie hunts. You know, year before last, I uh, I had a buck that I ended up shooting, uh, but when I first saw him, he's 570 yards. Uh, I did sneak in through the grass and got through the 129 yards before I took him, but I wouldn't have had to sneak that far because the wind was blowing. We had 25 30 mile an hour winds that day. So I felt like I had to get close to allow for any errors. But, you know, that, that I'm already looking forward to where I hunt, uh, you know, uh, if the long range application doesn't come up, you know, I can take those three to 400 shot shots in, uh, in high wind situations. Yeah, that's going to be pretty amazing to watch, man. You, you translate that. I, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm excited about me and Drew getting out here on this mountain. We've been we've been hunting for a while and really utilizing. And and what's funny is we hunt. You know, typically archery, we're hunting down low where we got some cover on this mountain. And as you get up, it you know turns into shale and it, and it gets open, so open that it's not. It just doesn't present itself for archery hunting. But now, man, it's it's going to be sky's the limit. And there's some. Uh, some monsters up high so that's going to be pretty cool to watch it translate we know there's bears we know there's bucks yeah now we can get up there and get them yeah whereas before no cover so d what uh you know you you had you've 
you've been anticipating this for, you know, over a year now, right? Coco knocked us all out the box. Um, but you, you know, dad, dad got you, uh, got you the build. Um, and you spent some time, you know, stretching your legs on that rifle prior. What? So how did it work for you, right? Were you, you're probably a little more comfortable out at eight, 900 yards since you had been shooting it. Were you a little apprehensive going in um, just because it's all of us? And now you got, you know, you got these expert marksmen training you up. How did that, how did that look for you? Yeah. So really the main deal is uh, like, I was going to DR long range to get like, I'd be happy whenever we went with our friend, if I even hit the still at 900, a thousand yards. But like my main deal with that was whenever I went to DR long range, I wanted to be drilling it perfect right in the middle center mass. So yeah, like with, with the guy we go with West, I would just be pretty much just, I'd be aiming at center mass, but of course, it would take me more than as many shots as it would take me at DR long range concept after they had like helped me out and stuff. So it was pretty cool. You think, you think them limiting the amount of rounds that you can send on steel kind of lent itself to that? Yeah, kind, kind of. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, New Mexico, we got some good wind, but, uh, it was it was it was just a little bit different like the atmosphere we were in it 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 was yeah dr long range concept helped me a lot more to be hitting center mass and not just on the target somewhere yeah so what do you think about that right because you know if somebody tells you hey you got two rounds right two rounds that's all you got as a team um there's a little bit of pressure, not not only just with that, but the pressure of Brian and Zach and Hunter and Denise and Ron standing there. It's a little bit there's a little bit of an intimidation factor that comes along with it. So do you think, you know, limiting those rounds to me, that was a big aspect, right? Hey, you can only take two. Two are on you guys and that's it. And we take over from here. I didn't want them SOBs to take over. Dude, that was, that was stressful. Especially being not just a shooter, but a spotter, because making those right calls for who you're spotting for, it adds that stress level by 10 times when they start saying two shots and after that, they don't count. So if I have to make the right call and I don't make that call that's proper, I'm screwing up my score for her. She's not the one doing the errors. It's me. So that it added a lot. I wasn't very comfortable, but I had to make myself comfortable in order to get her on target right the first two times and not after two times right yeah that well we'll talk about the the spotter shooter aspect of it um I have I, just briefly, I absolutely love the spotting aspect of it. I was kind of blown away that that I had more more enjoyment out of that than I actually did you know pulling the trigger on the rifle um tater what what were your what were your goals going in, right? And and I get it, right? It's it's the the you know Midwest or excuse me, mid you know whatever you are, Midwest or close to the East bow hunter guy, right? The whitetail guy. What there was an expectation, but then you had an experience in Utah a couple three years back where 
the limiting factor was your comfort level on opportunity, right? Because there was a shot that you didn't take because you didn't feel comfortable. Now, had you had this training then, right? Hindsight's a son of a gun, right? I'm a hindsight, that whole deal now. Um, that you'd, you'd probably be sitting there like Diego and have, you know, have that elk rack behind. Look at that mangled elk rack behind that kid, by the way. Look at that. That nasty, <laughs> that nice, that nasty mane. So do you think that that, you know, how does that play into a Tate? And, and um, well, no, the one shot I, I did have on the elk, the reason I didn't get off was Sid had actually walked down in there to try to see if he could get in between the first satellite and it actually was in an opening um, and I, I happened to be sweeping what he said you know bull and got on it let, um, safety off and I said it said clear and when I said the word clear the elk took a step and was gone now not saying I would have killed the bull had I seen it um but had that situation repeated itself, first off, I wouldn't have sent it unless I knew Sid was clear. Um, that's 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 no animal, you know, worth a human life. But that scenario now, and Sid being right there beside us, uh, yeah, it 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 happened so quick to know what I know now to been able to make the judgment call, you know, running it through your own head. Okay, maybe 10 mile, one hour wind, hold three left, send it on your own, talking yourself through it, night and day. Totally night and day. A thousand for you. T, what were your what were your expectations? One of of Ron and staff going in, and then uh, two of yourself going in and coming out. Um, as far as from from Ron and his staff was truly to build up that comfort level um, of myself. That was probably the where I set the the highest expectations because it was. The expectations I set for myself were to be able to not only take the um, take the information that they gave, but also to effectively apply it, um, ruling out any of the the training or experience that I had. Recording in progress. With any sort of uh, training in the past, you know, it's not a, a lot of the training that I've been through in the professional side has been, you know there's an instructor teaching to a class of, of 20 to 30 people. So you're not, you know, you're not looking to, to snag every bit of information that comes across. You pick up on bits and pieces and you try and adapt for the rest of it. Whereas with this, uh, even with our class size, it, if, if I didn't pick something up and talk to any of the instructors, I was able to meet my expectations. I was able to absorb literally everything that came out of their mouths. And that was, I don't know. That was one of the most impressive things as far as the instruction went. Did you have to turn off your your law enforcement training or your military training as you were going through it? Or was that something you kind of planned on doing? How did that play into it? I, I, I planned on that before I went into it. Um, you know, there's in in this realm, 
they talk about combat accuracy or combat marksmanship, whereas this is this is more the precision. And you're dealing you're dealing with one shot. You know, just just like when you're shooting. Uh, what I've taught people in handgun or carbine classes, it's it, it's not all the shots that are left in your magazine. It's that shot that's in in the chamber when you pull that trigger. That's the only shot that counts. It's not the one before. It's not the one after. It's the one that you're pulling the trigger on. And as far as that aspect goes, I kept that running with me, which is why, you know, you were talking about the, uh, the round count on each of those. I, I thought that was awesome, but, uh, there was other aspects where, um, you know, you got to turn certain things off because this isn't, this isn't make a quick adjustment and fire for effect. This is, this is the only shot that counts. You're not, you're not doing anything other than putting that one hit on target. And it, it was pretty impressive in, in my opinion, as far as that stuff all went. Yeah. That was kind of for me, right. Is, is you, is, and, and a couple of you guys have said it, it's, you don't know what you don't know, but, but you still want to hold on to what you think, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So for me, I, I know how I am. So going in, I was like, I'm just, I'm going in as I have zero information. Like I've never read anything. I've never seen anything. I've never been behind my rifle. And I think one of the things that really helped me is I scoped, rescoped that rifle, went to the range and shot it maybe eight to 10 rounds. So I, this is, and I went from MOA to an MRAD scope. So it kind of helped me in that aspect, right. Of, of me taking, you know, taking my control aspect away from myself and saying, okay, I'm trusting you. Here you go. Let's roll with this. Right. No, I, I agree. It was the, the one thing that I did have to tell myself going into it was forget everything that you've ever learned about any of the other styles of shooting. Whatever they teach you is all that matters. So what were your, what were your expectations going into it? Mm, expectation wise, as far as regarding like teachings. No, just what were your expectations? Like what, what, you know, what were you expecting to, to gain as you went into this? My biggest thing was come to being comfortable with my gun. Um, I know I shoot a lot, but being uncomfortable behind the gun, the way they taught us to be comfortable behind the gun was pretty much different from what I've ever known. They changed everything for me. They went from being, oh, I thought I was good with my shooting to I don't know anything. <laughs> and then once I started from scratch and literally just reevaluated my shooting style, comfortable was my biggest factor was becoming comfortable with what I shot and how I shot. Because if I'm comfortable behind the gun, I know my shot's going to be great wherever I'm shooting, no matter what. So let's, let's, uh, so I got to pick, well, I picked the teams. I was, I, Ron and I had talked and I had changed them probably, I probably changed them two times, maybe three. And then when we got there, and everyone was in front of me. I was like, you know what? I'm doing it this way. And I, I don't know what I saw. Um, so I, let's talk about that, right? Because there there could have been some other parents. Um, but I, I want to say that it was almost, and I'm not patting myself on the back. I sort of am. It was almost perfect pairings, in my opinion. I think that everyone complimented. And I think we all would have made adjustments. 
But it was just, there was such a flow with everyone as you watch people work together and how the different personalities came together and the camaraderie that was built across the board with it. It was just, it was exceptional, absolutely exceptional. So Carrie, why don't you tackle that? Uh, well, you know, you're just talking about expectations going in and, you know, you had you had uh, given us a little bit of information and my expectation initially was I was going to be with uh, my man Diego over there because that way for me on the screen. Um, so I was a, a little taken back when we got uh, repaired, but watching how well he and Trevor evolved together was just amazing. Um, and getting paired with Sil was a blessing in itself. Like we, we elevated each other's game and learned from each other a ton. And you talked about the, uh, the stress factor of needing to get your your partner on on target in those two shots to not have uh, the professionals take over behind you. Um, there's more than the pressure of you know making sure that we didn't let down uh, Denise and Ron and those folks. Which initially, when I talked to Ron about the course and had some snafus early on and um, in my setup and stuff, um, I said, you know, I just want to be able to go and make you guys proud was my initial thought. Yeah. But once I got there and got paired with Sill, my main goal was to make sure that he got on target to get the information he needed um, as efficiently as possible. And so um, Sill and I ended up pairing amazingly well together. I was super proud of uh, how well we were able to um, to pick up each other's shots and work with each other because, you know, there's Sill's a little bit of a firecracker. So uh <laughs> Is is fun fun to, to toy around with him a little bit, but when it came to business time, um, you know, I, I think that we complemented each other really well that way. There's times where potentially he could have gotten frustrated, but because we were in a pair together, we did really well, and we both came home with uh, with ammunition, even with him sharing his rifle with Trevor. So we we definitely didn't waste too many rounds. We were getting on target for each other really really, really well. I was yeah. impressed. So Diego, what? Why don't you talk about the same thing, man? Talk about your pairing with Trevor. And then what I'll do, and I'll just share it once we get kind of get through it, is I just want to share with you guys, and I think I did a little bit with, with my thought process on why I paired who I did with who. So, like Carrie said, I was going to be partnered with her, and that would have been uh, super awesome. And then when we got there, me and Trevor got partnered together. And it was really nice to have Trevor as my partner because he wasn't like, you need this, this, and this. Like, he sat down with me and he told me, this is what you need. Let's put it in the scope and let's send it. So it, it was, it was real, it was, it was a good deal. It was good to be with Trevor. Right, Trev. Um, talk about pressure. I, I got <laughs> partnered with, with Diego. I went in there not knowing who I was going to, who you had in mind for me to even be partnered with. And when you told me that I was going to be partnered with the man, I was, there was some pressure right away, but, um, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better spotter. He, he knew his stuff. He was a quick learner and, um, you know, for never mind the age gap, the, the commonalities that we share, whether it's sports, whether it's the critters we like hunting, any of that stuff. So like that all added to that bond. Um, but the biggest part of that was that I put all my trust in, in this young man and he put all his trust in me after we'd known each other for 12 hours. Mm -hmm. And it was, 
it was an excellent pairing. I couldn't ask for a better pairing. Um, he'd, he'd call with confidence if there was anything that he had questions about when he was on the gun. We'd, we'd talk it out. If I had questions when I was on the gun, we'd sit down, we'd talk it out. There was no, it, it, the independence that he showed just in the, in that weekend class was, was mind blowing. It was something that you'd expect to see from, from somebody, you know, two, Twice three, four age. times his age. Yep. No. And, and not, I mean, we talk about his spotting ability, right. And how fast he picked it up. But and I don't want this guy's head to get big, right? Because uh, his main beam hats will cease to fit. That's why he but, wears those flat bills so yeah, they can stretch out, so they can stretch them out. At some point, they're going to start bending on their own. But dude, dude can shoot, right? Dude's Super shooter, comfortable behind that rifle, and that that is impressive. And you want to talk about two, three, four times his age? There's dudes that been shooting shoot way more, and you know, don't even have that level of of skill set that confidence that control it was uh yeah don't let your head get big buddy i'll, I'll pop it this weekend when we're sending arrows <laughs> i think you guys were probably my favorite ones to watch work together and, and you know and i want to mention just because you. of the way you guys interacted yeah. together it, w- it was awesome to watch i want to mention that we are missing two guys right we had steve and his son kale unfortunately they couldn't join us tonight because steve had some uh, work issue come up um that was a father and son team didn't meet them until that weekend didn't know who they were and they they gelled right in um they were absolutely out well no offense to steve kale <laughs> That dude can call, right? I mean, he his his calls. When when I would hear him call, I would I would stop when I heard his voice, and just listen and the confidence. And then I would, you know, you're you're sitting there as people are calling and you're and you're looking right, and I'm verifying their calls, and I'm I was doing that to everyone. And that dude, he would make a call and I'd look and I'd be like, damn, he's money. And then boom, they'd ring just dead center ring, and I'm like, this kid is just. Well, how old was he? Does anybody know? Seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah, he was. Was uh, he eighteen? I don't. Well, think he I, was 18. I told him that. I told him that on the final day. Oh, like, hold on. He, Sorry, hold on. We got something going on here. Let me see here. What's this? What? 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 <laughs> um, go ahead, Drew. Until that. Until that does what it does. So he he said on the final day that his goal was just to shoot better and all that stuff. And that was what was cool about Kale was I don't think he realized how good he was. From talking to Steve, Kale had maybe two hours behind a rifle. And for him to come into that class and excel the way he did, not just as a shooter, but as a caller, because like you said, that kid could call. Yeah, he was. It was impressive to watch that, him. If you think about that for a minute, like any of us, Diego included, on this, if you had just started shooting and you've spent two hours behind any sort of weapon platform, and then you go to that class, you you would be terrifying. There would you you wouldn't yeah. have anything that was outside of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. you don't really have anything established. <laughs> Right. No, you, you don't you don't have I'm, any bad habits. Yeah. You don't have any thoughts of you know, I've missed this before. It's 
it, it's all a clean slate. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably, it, it, you know, it's probably best case scenario, to be honest with you, is to go in there with with zero. I think I know, you know what I mean? That that would be the absolute best case. Hey, you don't have to check the ego or the bias at the door when you don't have it. Well, exactly. you know what? You bring up something really good there. So this this was what you know, and I expected to see some of it, right? Um, and and the only person that I didn't really expect to see it from was Carrie. And I think I made the statement, it you know, talking about it, and I think Ron did it too. Is women are better at that, right? Because myself and Trev and Mike and Sill and Tate, we're we're gonna worry about what I just did wrong, right? Dang it, that shot, or he just shot better, and blah, blah, blah. Man, everyone's ego was checked somewhere in the air, flying in, right? There was like, there was no, absolutely no ego. And it was just like, Carrie just bled off on all of us. Uh, oh, oh, look at those beautiful faces that just joined us. Heck yeah. I miss you guys. How we doing? How's it doing? We're doing great, man. Just sitting here, shooting the breeze and uh, just talking. So we've kind of talked about, you know, why the LR experience and expectations going in. And we're kind of talking about, you know, what we what we thought in terms of the teams is where we were at right now. Um, and those pairings, um, which, you know, I, I think they were. I'll let you guys talk a little bit. I think the teams were, I think the teams were great. We were just saying, you know, that, that what was impressive for me was, was egos were, I don't even want to say checked at the door. Right. And, and we talked about it during classes that typically, especially with us men, and I expected not to see it from Carrie, but with men, we're always worried about that last shot or what I did wrong. And, and there was no ego. There was none of that in this class. And it was just, it was just a seamless experience all the way through. I'll tell you from our end, uh, it, it was, we all, this was an incredible. You're, I'm, I'm losing you. I'm, I'm losing you in and out. So maybe try and come in a little bit closer to the mic for me. Hold on, bud. We're not, we're not getting you. Hold on. We're not getting you. 48 minutes. Let we I still don't hear you. Are you, Ron? Are you on your iPad? Try and try and grab uh, Denise's phone and go on your phone. Yeah, try that and then just come back in because it's bad on the iPad right now. Uh, forty-eight minutes to forty-eight, forty-eight forty. We'll let him come back in there. Uh, so we don't waste. I don't want him just talking. Um, looking like a mime there. Um, so Tate, what did, what did you think of, what did you think of the pairings? Um, and then how was that, you know, I, we, we have to talk, I'm sorry. I just made me think we have to talk about what Mike did and what Mike was working with in terms of his scope and how phenomenal that was. And to even just get an inkling of understanding of what they were doing on that scope. I mean, that was just yeah. mind-blowing so so yeah. tater what did you think about about you know your your teammate and the teams in general what did you what was your feeling um, there teams in general i it was it was really neat to see how quickly everybody meshed um yeah i don't think you could have paired them up any better um 
I really enjoyed watching um, Harry and Sil, of course, Trevor and, and Diego, that relationship. Um, by the third day, I told Ron, actually, how impressed it was to watch you and Drew, like how your confidence from Friday to Sunday and your calls were so much more just direct and uh, forthcoming and just confident. And then even Sunday, watching and his son, that was, they were probably Sunday my favorite team to watch. And I think a lot of it was Hale. Like you said, just his confidence, man, was unreal. Like, I, I, I was thinking, if you're behind that gun and he's calling for you, you have to know if you just do what you're taught, you're ringing Steve. Because I just, it, it, he put confidence into the shooter. Um, as for Mike, I don't think I could have been paired with anyone better. You guys know I'm just a slow, easy going. You know, and Mike's like that cool hand loose man. You know, Heck yeah. Cool, you know, uh, he is. And I, you know, let's be real. Part of it, obviously, I live with uh, a physical, some physical stuff. And Mike is a man of all men with the father he is. Um so I think a little bit, maybe that was why we was paired together. I, you know what? That, that had zero. That okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut that shit off right now. Excuse my language, Diego, because because that when I when I look at you, I don't I don't see the stump, right? So I'm gonna say that right now. I'm gonna slap you in your face the next time I see you for even thinking that. But but you do have a point that that might you know what I mean. But for me for me, it was Mike being seasoned behind the rifle, right? Yeah. Hunting where you hunt for the most part, right? It, it, it's very similar. Um, but yeah. the next time I see you, I'm going to punch you right in that ugly old mug of yours for saying that. <laughs> Son of a... <laughs> and I'm going to run. I'm going to run because you're a big, massive SOB. You can't catch me. <laughs> you run, dude. Just, just freaking skip. <laughs> all right we got uh we got ron and denise back on so let's uh go back to you bubba sorry about the uh audio issues brother no no issue at all awesome it's great to see your faces again uh hear the voices and and uh really it was an incredible experience for you guys I'm honored to have been associated with this crew. I want to say that first and foremost. I wanted to say, Ron and I talked after the class, which we always do. We always uh, break the class down day by day and then the whole weekend. And what I recognize out of all of the people that could have come together for that weekend, it was this group that came together and made outstanding weekend for I think all of us to forever hold in our memories and in our hearts is such an important weekend but it just everything plays the way it's supposed to play and to have the teams that were together um, teammated together and the camaraderie was just fun. and Ron and I are still um, 
blessed that we were a very small part of such a dynamic group of people. I don't know about the small part. I, you know, that could have been different, right? It could have been different if, if, if you two plus the staff weren't who you are and didn't hold the class how you hold it and you want the people it didn't it wasn't going to matter how the teams were paired right and i and i think everybody that was there would feel the same way i i mean as much as it was up to us there's no way with with i've been to one other shooting school i there was nothing like what you guys did or are doing and and how it was structured um yeah, so don't please don't sell that short. Uh, those team pairings could have went to could have went to garbage really fast had it be, been anybody else given the instruction. And I, I mean, guy, by everybody out of out of all of your listeners and followers, the the peanut squad was meant to be the peanut squad. Yes, ma'am. And without one of the members in that squad, and it was so dynamic and so exciting about. Um, where we stand is we have an opportunity to meet such phenomenal people like all and, and um, our lives forever changed and, and we're grateful to have had that opportunity us too I can I know that everybody's nodding us Definitely. too that was awesome and, you know and, and well I'll, I'll probably crack on Brian a little bit but I was so happy when he started to choke up I was like that that for me right yes. with with the you know I mean this was a this was a weekend but that this weekend came about because of a 13 week deal that we decided to do uh, because you know COVID had crapped on what we had planned right we had this big elaborate plan to have one massive winner blah 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 and to see that right and you look at that big old imposing dude and you know that he's an operator and you know some of his history and to see that that i don't care if i didn't hit a, a 200 yard target that made every bit of mo- you know all the travel worth it listening to the guys that took 48 hours to get home and it was just like that moment right there i knew exactly what you're saying like everything about it was meant to be it was just perfection absolute perfection brother i've been around the world with that dude and uh that's I've never seen that's never happened. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that? Think about, think about that. That is just, <laughs> that's huge. That is huge. Well, I, think, I think it's funny because when we rolled up the first day and all of us saw Brian, we were all like, damn, we are not pissing him off. Straight up. Like, I mean, look at his name. Like right? he's he's that Im- he's that imposing. Yeah, but his last name is Deathridge. Like, what do you think when you're like, oh. <laughs> like, could he have a better last name with that stature? <laughs> and truly, I, you know, I think there's something that, and I've told you this before. I've said, now you get, you understand it. That's why this valuable for others to hear it from you instead of from me. I've told you that a hundred times. Yep. It's more important to me that potential future students come in, hear it from you than from me. I, I and I'm uncomfortable about the school. Truly. You know me now. 
You shouldn't I, I be. Try- that the and and everybody, I'm sure everybody will go, but you shouldn't be, Ron. Um, I feel like I feel like you're you're hindering people from getting there. Like I think everyone should be there, right? It's just this exceptional experience. And yeah, it's about you know what I mean? It's like, man, don't don't cheat people. <laughs> I want you to tell them. I don't right. want to tell them. I know. Nope. I know. You know, I'll stand in front of the audience and tell them all day, but it's just more powerful coming from someone that's experienced. And my point behind that is something happens out. It's more than shooting. And what I mean, uh, my, my whole rapper there, my full circle there is now you get it because you experienced it yourself. It's more than shooting. And I, I have to, I have to contribute that to the people that are involved, Mm -hmm. for sure. It's the student and staff that are involved. And and you know, the first 30 minutes we greeted after bugs and whatnot, it's like I knew you for two days. And as soon as we never met, we talked on the phone. Um, We've done a podcast together. Look, I mean, you're my brother. And, and, uh, it was seamless. It was beautiful. But um, it, it, the first 30 we talked about how we want you to be comfortable immediately. Some of you may have forgotten now, but that's so important to us. And, and that you don't experience ego or this standoffish uh, aurora uh, about ourselves. We want you to be comfortable. And, and let's rock and roll. We're there to teach. We have, and now you see the three day evolution of those three days. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on. And, uh, anyway, it was, it, it was a truly, truly humble. It really, it really, really was. So one of the things, Carrie, can you talk about it a little bit? And then uh, let's go to, to Mike with it next. And one of the things, everybody, every instructor served a role. Right. Um, and the delivery of each role was perfection, in my opinion. Right. And, and I'm not talking from and I'm going to caveat it a little bit. I'm not BSing. Right. Folks have heard me talk enough. I'm not going to just say something to say it. If I was disappointed or I had a problem, I would say it. I have no issue with that. And I believe that Ron and Denise would want me to be honest about it. I loved everyone's role. Right. And, and having my brother Ron up there instructing and gaining this knowledge for me was huge. What I didn't expect was the impact that Denise had on me that weekend, right? And that level of bring me down like my wife does to a point, right? That, well, you know, that, that. I don't know how to explain it. I, that's just, that's how I felt about it, right? Is is I'm able to have a conversation about shooting on a level where I don't have no ego about it. I was okay. And Denise and I had the conversation. I was okay with taking and just saying, Drew, you're in control of everything I'm doing. When this finger goes, it's because you told me. I was okay with that. And that was an, I did not expect that going into this, right? Which and shocked me. It was, that was <laughs> like crazy. Like, Okay, shooting that, shooting the target out at a thousand yards is great, but our conversation 
about just letting go and being okay with it. That was, I'm, I'm going to say that was the biggest impact on me outside of seeing the camaraderie and the friendships and everything just blossom. That was the biggest impact on me personally the entire weekend. Uh, so I'll shut up, Carrie, go ahead. What I'm sure you saw it. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, even, even before Ron and Denise got in here, uh, I think I heard a Deniseism about three or four different times. You don't know what you don't know. That was, that was something that, uh, um, and that, that in itself, that, that phrase right there, um, checks your ego at the door. Cause again, you don't, if you don't know it, then, then you can't act on it and you can't be utilizing those mechanics correctly. And so, um, watching each of those instructors operate independently with different groups and switching back and forth, it, it wasn't as if, uh, you know, a single instructor was as, as assigned to you. They were all able to jump in and, and help and provide their own unique uh, perspective and way to say things that, uh, gives that person that aha, you know, light click moment. And it was really fun to watch, uh, across the course, um, every single group and every single instructor had one of those moments where, you know, where they said that thing that just, that, that just snapped the pair or the person that was struggling in, into a position of understanding. And, uh, to me, that was amazing. I mean, even it started at the very beginning, um, of, not the beginning, because um, we did the, the classroom portion initially first, but getting behind the rifle for the first time and watching every single person learn that, you know, the way that our, our mechanics had been um, taught or working for a long time, th there was something that everybody needed tweaked. And um, it was really amazing to watch the instructors provide um, expertise, even at that minimal level that when you look out at distance provides, uh, you know, a maximal difference. Um, none of us went into that course feeling the level of confidence that we did coming out. And that is directly attributed to the staff that, uh, you know, Ron and Denise and everybody that they pull into that group uh, combined. It was excellent. The instruction was, was uh, phenomenal. And that's something that I'll say in this, in this group. And it's something that I've been saying since I got home. Um, it's, it's really, it was really incredible to watch them, um, and assure that nobody was left behind within that instruction. Um, we, we all pulled through that together as a group and continued to group. And it was really fun to, to watch. It was awesome. Go ahead, Mikey. You know, the, uh, I look at it as all the teams, I think, uh, any one of us now could be paired with anyone. You know, we could sell with Trevor, you know, Drew with, uh, Carrie, you know, any way across the board. But at that time and that place, that was an absolute perfect pairing. I mean, everybody was was absolutely on target for spotting, shooting, and all the instructors. I mean, the different, you know, like MOA, Mill, my deep BDC reticle, you know, they helped us through every every situation, every issue we might have, our uh, fundamentals, uh, lining all that out. I mean, I can't imagine uh, I can't imagine the instruction going any any differently i went in you know i went in uh, not knowing really what to expect and just uh by the time ron went through uh helped me try to figure out my scope uh the bdc reticle and you know who would have thought that i'd be you know i, I never would envision that i'd be turning down the power the further out i shoot and adjusting that you know swagging on where that power ring might be set at 
and I, I was just amazed. Uh, Ron went through it and uh, helped me just uh, pull off things I never envisioned I would be able to do with that with that combination. That that was that was crazy. Just <laughs> crazy. Oh man! That you know what? It, it's it's funny because I told Ron before we left that I wanted him to show me how he was doing that, and I never got that chance. But you know what? I don't even want to know because I bought a new scope, <laughs> so I didn't have to do that. So you Drew, Drew, while you're going, chime in. So you had said you you were about to chime in when when I went to carry there when we were talking about you know bringing that down, um, and just kind of letting go. So that was one of the big things I was worried about. So with me and you being hunting partners, us being partnered up in the course was just kind of natural because we need to play off each other in the field. And I know how you are with control. So to see you let go and let me control it was kind of a shock to me. <laughs> like I was really worried about that. And I kind of thought you were going to get upset a little bit, especially when I was making some bad calls on the spotter. And then once I started feeling more comfortable and the second day with that coyote, when we made your follow-up shot in like four or five seconds and Ron stopped the whole class and he was like, that's it right there. That boosted my confidence so much. Just, just with him stopping and going, that's how it should be done. Like for me, that was a lot. And then, like I said, watching you let go of that control and letting me handle and trusting what I was telling you was second to none. So how does, how do you think, more importantly, how do you think the, the instruction played into that, right? In, in that whole scenario, because in terms of, in terms of time in the field, we're the only ones on this that have as much time in the field, right? But, but that instruction is really what did it in my opinion oh for sure i mean it's it's been brought up plenty of times already but the whole confidence and comfort level um like i said i knew i could shoot but i, I didn't i didn't tell you like say my effective range pre-class versus post-class earlier going into the class my effective range with my setup I I would have put it less than 300 yards just because of my setup I don't know where it's going to be now yeah but I (laughs) what I do at the range and what I do in the field is two completely different things I I would have never stretched my rifle out to 600 yards like I did at the range to take an animal and, and, and with the I'll, setup I have now, I probably still wouldn't. Right. I, I would be more it. comfortable to do like a 400, but I would never go to 600 with the setup I have now. But now that I have the new scope and, you know, once I get that set up, 1300, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that at six out of 700. Right. Like, and, and not that, even think about it with the pencil barrel. And that's one of the things too. And I just want to say it, right? Because somebody will listen to some of it, and not catch it or whatever. But, but because we were shooting 
a thousand yards doesn't mean that that's what we consider our effective range when we have a, no. a, a living animal in front of us, right? We're all going to temper that. And I think that tempering increases when you go through this course. I think you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, we were touching. So I could use the deer, right? The deer, everybody was poking that deer. We were hitting heart. We were hitting lungs, right? And that's a, you know, life size, eight inch and about three, four inch uh, heart on there that were flappers. For me, I'm good on that now. I wouldn't go out to the thousand because it just wasn't, I wasn't feeling it like I was feeling that deer. Um, so I just want to call that, you know, we're tempering what we could do. And I know Drew, Drew can, and I've said it for a year and a half as we've gone through this and talked about this course. I think I even told Ron, Drew can shoot, right? But I've never seen Drew take his his range max into the field and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to shoot, you know, 600 yards or 500 yards. It's always been held back. And, and in my opinion, sometimes it's shrank down probably a third or so f- more than he should um so i just want to caveat all that there well i mean just just another thing with that too so i said i would take my my new setup out you know 700 yards without thinking about it but i'm not doing that without a spotter if i'm in the field by myself i'm still staying within 500 yards like because that's where I would feel comfortable once I get used to my new setup and my rifle with the new scope and all that stuff. But if I don't have a spotter, there's no way I'm taking a 700, 700 yard shot in the field at an animal, you know, and, and that's just me personally. I don't know how everybody else feels about that, but I mean, when Denise and Ron told us at the beginning of class, the guy behind the gun is the monkey behind the gun the spotters where it's at like that was one thing that that really rang true to me by the end of the course because and i think a couple other people said it by the end of the course my misses weren't on the trigger my misses were through the spotter so so I mean, that's kind of a kind of a perfect segue um, to ethics, right? When we start talking LR and, and the ethics, right? And that's a hot, hot topic. And Ron and I have had this conversation when we podcasted and prior to our podcast, there's, you know, he doesn't like to share certain distances, right, on animals because of backlash and things like that. And there's value sets that go with it and there's gear issues that go with it. So, Ron, can you, can you touch on the ethics and LR real quick and then we'll kind of go through uh through the squad here and denise sure. please chime in when you when you need <laughs> sure brother so you know i th- i think it's an individual responsibility uh when it comes to ethics and without the time on the range um you know there's it, you remember on the kd range we went from 300 yards to 100 that that is um we're building data that point we're building that before we go hard animal at 700 yards we need to validate the the key word there is validation i need to be able to step out of danger plop down on the ground get my kestrel out change it and hammer that target first round impact it not shoot the target in front of it shoot the next target shoot the next target and finally hit the deer there's a huge difference between working 
downrange because now we all know we can add a little sliver of wind as we go downrange. As long as the wind doesn't change, we're going to hit that target, right? So it's validation. I own it. And in my heart and in my soul, I'm the one that answers for that. Each one of us are. And, and you get it now. And I do agree with you, Guy, that I, I think you get it even more now that you've been through the experience. We talk about it in the class as well. It's our individual responsibility. To, um, well, and I think on individual responsibility is going out there and um, if it's not dry firing, just to practice different positions, it's definitely getting out as often as you can to shoot farther than what ethical distance may be. And, you know, from every hunt that I've ever had, I've learned um, pros and cons of, of errors and successes that I've had. And that just adds another arrow to my quiver of experience to know, well, that was a bad mistake or that was a success. Um, and the only way to have that, I think, ethical range is to get out there and have a distance and, and to go out there and and put that in practice, either at the range or, you know, in a hunt situation. And, and I'll add one other thing. I'm never worried about, I'm not, just to clear that up. I'm not worried about backlash. I mean, you know well enough now. I'm, I'm a big whatever. Um, I, I don't want to shed a bad light on long range. I don't want to shed a bad light on archery. I don't want to shed a bad light on any of it. We're all in the same community. Mm-hmm. So I think, it, you know, it depends on where I'm at, if I'm going to talk about it or not. Because we all know in certain areas, you, you instantly get this um, unreasonable response. Right. Well, that's lack of education. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. If there's time for me to explain it and add some, uh, you know, some perspective to it, where you know I'll always bring in our archery perspective, uh, I think it's real. You know, we're all in the same the same deal. Um, don't knock me down because I shoot a bull at a thousand yards, which I did, and she did, and my did. I won't do it again. I won't. I've never told you that, but I, I, I won't. I, I, I will try to get closer. Um, I will. But 700 yards, it's just something, I guess, maybe maturity. Maybe it's because I've analyzed that so many times. Um, it's so easy to have a smoker and have a wounded animal. And I, and I don't want to live with that. So I'll back it down. 700 yards. I mean, I feel extremely confident in 700 yards. That's yeah, I, think, I think the range, whether it be archery or um, rifles, is there's unity. Even long range to somebody's 500 yards, 300 yards may be long range to somebody. Just the, the pure opportunity of being able to look past your zone of what you had before just opens up the world, um, in my opinion, on hunting. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a great thing to be able to see something and go, I, I can get closer and have that ethical shot and it not be 100 yards in. It kind of opens up your range of, of your harvest, in my opinion. For sure. So Trip, why don't you why don't you tackle that? Um, as, as far as the ethical limits, yeah, well, not ethical limits, but but how do you think that ethics weighs into 
um, ways into LR. I mean, it's not just necessarily LR, but how do you know where, where's your view on ethics with with the long range precision stuff? Because, OK, you know, I posted I think it was yesterday, the day before, and I, I did it on purpose. And I and for me, it's important that we have the conversation. And I, I put on there, right. You know, this what what is your value set in ethics when it comes to, you know, a thousand yard shot? And I had a gentleman uh, chime in on there and he says, hey, you know, the Jimmy John guy shot an elk three times at a thousand yards. Um, he flies people in, blah, 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 blah. It's not that's not ethical to me. And 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 I think we confuse them sometimes is value set and ethics, value set and ethics. And we want them to be the same, but they're they're not right. It, it, because that guy can afford a governor's tag at fifty thousand dollars plus seven or eight guides to follow around. I, I have my opinion, like I told him of it is probably different because I don't have $30,000 for a governor's tag. If I had $30,000 for a governor's tag, then I might take the shot. And then I watched the video and it is a perfect thousand yard vital shot. Perfect on a monster freaking bull. I, you guys need to see it. It's a three on YouTube. Oh my God. That bull is phenomenal. Anywho. Right. So, so where do ethics play into taking a 700, a thousand yard poke in your head? I, I think I think they're absolutely critical because just because just because you're comfortable shooting steel at that distance, that doesn't mean you're comfortable taking a life at that distance. And whether that's whether that's a bull of a lifetime and you know that you can shoot that distance on on steel or on the range in a you know color controlled environment, um, now your heart rate's up. Now you've got all these other additional stressors going. But are you going to let the the ego side of you outweigh the the right thing to do i i know my choice but sadly we don't we don't live in a world where everybody looks at things that way um you get a lot of time where people truly just look at um they look at the idea of having that that glory shot or that grip and grin and instead of looking at okay that's a thousand yards away i'm gonna have to go down the side of this mountain i gotta go across that draw i gotta come up the other side it's a warm day by the time i get there how much of the meat's gonna be gone this is grizzly country what about what else am i gonna have to contend with between there and here it's you know if if we as the hunting or shooting community don't look at these things in an ethical light we're going to start being cast in that unethical light and none of us want that because none of us here from what i've seen are unethical in any of these aspects so why switch that up for for momentary momentary fame if you will um you know short-term happiness never brought long-term satisfaction so why apply that in hunting Diego, that's tweet. That's tweetable. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a tweeter? Do you have a, a tweetable book? <laughs> Not me. Not me. Diego, where do, where do you stand with it, buddy? How does uh, and, and Diego's around? Diego's probably around more hunting than most of us, right? Because of Elmer and where he is, and um, so D, where where do you see the ethics in stretching out those shots, bud? So, uh, last year actually on no, it was this year, yeah, this year on the Barbary hunt, I went on. 
me and dad were uh, sitting there glassing and we found some uh, some Barbary out there. And I had went every weekend with the guy we had been shooting with, practice shooting, doing my dry fires almost every night, getting ready for this hunt. And we found these Barbary at a thousand yards. And it, it we could have for sure took in the shot, but it was, it was getting late at night. Uh, who, we didn't want to wound an animal, so my dad knew we could get a little bit closer, so we were able to get closer closer, and harvest the animal to where we knew that he wouldn't uh, get wounded and run off. It was getting close to dark, and it, it's a good thing we didn't take the shot at 1,000 because who knows if we would have found him because once we got to where he was shot off, it was just a dump off into something that was no good. <laughs> that walk was no good for you anyway says those pictures that i saw <laughs> mike shoot on the ethics you know that's uh i think we've all touched on it you know we we have that personal decision we have to make and it's sad that there there's individuals that you know they have zero training they see uh whatever they're hunting deer elk you know, go 700 yards. Oh, I'm going to take that shot because this is my glory time to have it on the wall. You know, and we're going to have that at whatever there is in life. Uh, it's those ethical uh, conversations we have to have with ourselves. You know, and, you know, am I going to take, uh, you know, a 400-yard shot versus a 800-yard shot? You know, it all depends on all those factors we learn that people will say, oh, you should never take a 800,000 yard shot. Well, you know, we've had the training, we make that decision. We know the wind, we know our ballistics, you know, we know those things. And without training, yeah, you are just taking a, a wild shot, hoping it's gonna happen. And we just have to, uh, you know, be our own judge. Hey, you know, can I ethically make that shot and, uh, you know, make the harvest? You know, and that's, it's sad, but we are going to have those individuals that are out there that, you know, they're going to do it no matter what. They want that glory shot like Trevor shot, Trevor said, and uh, they're going to be a bad light for those who will take the ethical shot. That's uh Ron said it, right? You have to, you know, you go out there and you, and you get the data, then you have to validate that data. And I, and, and to me, you have to validate your own ability. Um, you really have to go and be honest about what you're, what you're capable of, right? Did I, did it take me five shots to hit that 700 yard target right and if that's the case then guess what i'm gonna have to back down if my first shot you know center mass was at 300 i i gotta be honest with myself that 300 yards is probably my ethical limit uh, yeah tater what what's your opinion on it man um i guess twofold answer here is obviously training man it, it you know i would never take my ethical range with with a rifle would not be anything close to like Ron. Watching him during that demo was something special. I mean, you seen true master of the craft, you know. Uh, so so that's obviously part one. 
He just cringed. He, I'm sorry, Tater. He just cringed when you said he, he turned up his nose. And, <laughs> oh, man, so daggum humble. Go ahead, Tater. Sorry. No, it is what it is. But that's how you know he's a true master of his craft because when you're chasing excellence in something, you're never going to admit your you know, so that just tells me he, he's truly excellent at what he knows. Um, but the second part, of, you know, like with archery, that's like, you know, a hundred yard archery bomb for John Dudley compared to our archery level. Uh, so that's enough of that. Right. So speak for yourself. I'll throw a hundred yard bomb. That's true. That's not ethical for me. But. One thing I think is really neat, and I'm going to call myself out here, when I used to, you know, watch hunting shows as a, a Midwestern bow hunter, where, you know, most of our stuff out here is within 20 to 10 yards up close. And I would see these long range rifle hunts, and, you know, a guy with a spotter take, excuse me, take an animal at seven, 700 yards, and I'd be like, there's no challenge. You know what I mean? I'm not going to lie. I was younger, and I kind of thought, where's the excitability, the challenge? And then after taking this class, I I see the challenge. And have is like Ron said, we're on the same team. And I respect that ability as much as I do anyone who's doing with stick and string, um, people doing it traditional archery. It's all about one family. And if you're a master at a certain craft and have put in the work to master that craft, that should be respected. Yes, sir. And I think that's where I've grown in age. And this, this class just truly reaffirms that for me. Like if I ever shot something at 700 yards, I might maybe my first bull elk or even 500, 400 with, with where I started with black powder rifle, I'd be just as proud as that had I harvested it with bow and arrow. And that's a lot for me. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Sil, you have a you have an interesting perspective on this, right? Generally a rifle hunter. Um, and And you had some confidence in your ability going into the class. But also on the other side of that, you recently started archery hunting and learned a hard lesson last year. Um, so there's, you have, in my head, you have a very interesting perspective and, and could lend a lot to the conversation in terms of ethics and tempering yourself to what that ability set is and, and you know how that plays into your hunting. Yeah, uh, last year as far as bow hunting side, the bow hunting side, I had I had a shot at forty three yards with an animal. He was slightly cornered towards me. I had another opportunity prior to that at really probably twenty three yards, full frontal. But in my head, because of my short time in the archery, I'm like I can't take a full frontal shot. I didn't want to take a full frontal shot, so I just said. I'll leave it if he presented itself with a broadside shot. I was going to take it, and I was pretty confident because I had been shooting prior to that, and I was 
pretty tight groups considering I was a newbie hunter with the boat. Things didn't go my way. He was ordered more than I thought he was. And the arrow ended up landing right in bone. And I, it was an unharvested animal. I know he's for sure alive this year. I mean, if I do get a chance on him this year, he's going to be dead. Because I practice enough now that I know I can take a darn good frontal shot and he's going to be going down. That and he's going back with to the rifle. The rifle. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. Prior to this class, ethics-wise, and I'm probably when I first started hunting in Arizona, I made a dumb decision. And I'll own up to it. I took a shot at Acoustic at 1,200 yards when I should have never taken a shot at anything past maybe 600. And it was being ego. Looking at now, that was the dumbest thing I probably have ever done in a hunting situation and something I'll never do again. Because I want to make sure the animal is not injured. I want to make sure I harvest the animal the quickest, cleanest possible way. Certain. Because if it's not ethical, I'm not taking that shot. I had a shot last year at 700 yards on the coos. I did not take it because I didn't want to injure it. So ever since then, it's just making sure I'm effective is my priority. If I know I'm not going to be effective, I will not take a shot at an animal if I'm not going to be effective. And I'll just say that's why you were paired with Carrie. Um, that was that was one of the no no no. I'm I'm not saying it to be funny. I'm just saying that's why you were paired with Carrie because I knew she would temper that. Um, I knew that she would humble that um, one because of her abilities, right? Two because of the person she is and how she's going to use her strengths and translate that into your weakness. And I absolutely saw that through the weekend and her tempering you. Um, oh, I, I agree. I, I am super stoked that you paired me with her because she made me realize that sometimes my emotions get the better of me and my excitement is my main thing getting the better of me. She helped me realize, calm down, take your time and don't get so excited over a one shot. Make sure you get, become consistent with it. So I was super stoked that you paired me after. Well, your confidence, your shot confidence went up too. I, I wasn't trying to call you out on it. I just wanted you to no, no. give us the two sides of, you know, yeah. going into that. Um, and then, you know, I even said it right. Age played into it. Right. And and that's one of the things that I knew I carried. Just, she was perfect. Um, Dude, just percent agree. Just perfect. Right. And I there was a little bit of pressure. I think all of us had a little bit of pressure of, of laying down next to her shooting. Uh, I know oh. I did. <laughs> when, you, when you first, when you, when you, okay, when you first said I'm paired with Carrie, I'm like, oh crap. Let's see if I can make it perfect. I get, my, in my head, I'm like, dude, I've been following her, and I'm like, she kills. So I know she can shoot. Yeah. Like if I mess this up, I am gonna feel horrible. I'm like, I gotta make sure she's on target every time. So I had to be confident and make sure my calls were perfect. Yeah, it was crazy. So Drew, you did great. Uh, Thank you. So Drew, talk talk a little bit about the ethics. I mean, I you know, I, I know where you stand. Um, Drew Drew will not, and, and you guys saw Drew is an excellent. He is an excellent shot, right? He's good behind the trigger, right? I've seen this dude. There's a couple times where I'm like, I get mad at him in the field. Like I won't even BS it. I'll be mad. I'm like, what are you doing? What do you mean you didn't take the shot? Why aren't you taking the shot? You know, like what are you doing? He's like, dude, I just didn't feel comfortable. So I know, I know his value set, um, and and that's there's a sense of pride in walking in the woods with somebody like that, right? For as as crazy as I'll go with anybody that walks it, and he'll tell you, I'm a 
it's all in the woods. Um, but that's one of the things, the, one of the, the, the things that makes it nice to be in the woods with Drew or on the mountain with Drew is, you know, that he is not going to step outside of not just his value set, but your value set and how you view ethics and, and, and making a shot that sometimes it's like, dude, you could have taken that shot. Like, bro, I know you can hit that and he won't do it. So sorry, I had to say that because it, it there is a sense of pride when you hunt with a guy and you know that he can shoot, you guys saw it, but his ethics and his value set is top notch. That's a big freaking deal for me. Yeah, that's I awesome. I mean, I, I guess for me, a big part of that comes with one of the first deer I ever shot. I wounded it, never recovered it. And that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in the woods. Like all the hard work and the hiking and the climbing mountains and none of that compares to you wounding an animal and not finding it. Like that's a whole different kind of suck, right? Like, and then the, the first deer I ever shot, I took the shot. She turned right as I shot, I clipped her tail just enough to break her back. I was 12 years old and I had to walk up and finish her off. That's rough. And it, it almost ruined me for real. Like, so between that and then the, the deer that I shot and never recovered, I, I always told myself if I'm not a hundred percent confident in that shot, I'm not taking it. You know, and and I think I let it play into my head a little bit too much sometimes. And there are shots that that I know I can take, but I kind of get in my head too much with it. And then I get rattled anyways. And I've always said that when when I stop getting rattled, when I see an animal, I'll stop hunting. Exactly. Like a, a lot of people are like, oh, I need, uh, you know, I want to put this big rack on my wall a doe rattles me like <laughs> it doesn't like i don't know the 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 adrenaline that i get from hunting and you know having an animal step in front of me is enough to put me to my knees sometimes because i i get that excited about it <laughs> he gets so, so excited so he goes blind <laughs> i did that's just because i got hey actually i just went to the eye doctor the other day i'm waiting for my new glasses to come in i'm actually going to start shooting with them on you're going to be looking at us like this <laughs> i'm, I'm going to look like that guy from office face the one with the stapler but no so I mean, you're right. When it comes to shots that I probably should have taken, that that my skill level is definitely on par with taking. I think a lot of that's in my head more than anything. Yeah, but, but uh, it stems from my ethics, from the wounded animal, and having to finish my first year off with a bad shot. Well, that says a lot on my right? initial shot. There, because I think you should have taken the shot. That uh, who the hell am I to tell you what shot to take? You know what I mean? Ultimately, the fact that yeah, you still true. don't take those shots—that's more important than that tag coming off the mountain and, and going in the pot, right, or going in the envelope. That's more important. That's how you know a guy is an ethical hunter and his value set is top notch that's a guy that you could share time on the mountain with and not worry about him jeopardizing himself or your your privilege 
or anything. There's guys that'll go out there and they'll pop shot. You know, what's what's the backstop, right? I don't know what's behind it, but I'm going to send it anyway. I don't want to be involved in anything like that. So, yeah, I'm an, I'm an a-hole when it comes to being in the woods sometimes. But a lot of that is just wanting to see our success. Yes, but we never – we will never cross a line. I will never – I don't – you know, no one crosses oh, the line. It, it just it, – it's amazing that, you know, you're around people that are just going to hold their value set regardless. Hey, I'm not comfortable yet. It's 350. My comfort level is 300. That That, that is awesome. Can, can you guys hear me? Because you guys all froze up on me. I, we can hear you. You yeah, just froze up. Yeah, I can hear. Okay. So uh, I don't know if you heard what I was saying. I would rather walk off the mountain with a tag in my pocket from not taking a shot than walk off the mountain with a wounded animal and still having a tag in my pocket. Right. Like, for me, there's no question. And I'll stand behind that any day. I think all of us would. So, you know what? Yes, sir. So. Something that comes to mind here from listening to all those ethical comments, it, you could summarize it pretty easily. It, 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 ethics come from our experiences as a hunter. Over the years, we learn from maybe maybe we make a mistake. We're humans. That's what humans do. Every day. We're going to make mistakes, and we're going to try to fix it because we're high quality humans. So that's what I really, as I listened, it's very valuable to hear um, people that I hold uh, at at a high regard as well, hear their thought on ethics all the way around. That's how I would summarize this. Well, and I, I will chime in on that. I think when we talk about other people that make shots that they are not capable of making or should I think some of it's the unknown. If they've been hunting their whole lives with their dad, their grandpa growing up in the deer woods, and then they go out and something bigger, they they know that that 300 wind mag has the capabilities, but they just don't understand. I think a lot of maybe the ego that's about is lack of knowing and lack of understanding past their ethical limit. Um, I don't ever think anybody goes in the woods wanting to harm an animal. Um, they want that that harvest they've never been able to have via elk or mule deer or whatever the case may be. I just think it's just lack of understanding and really to become knowledge um, when it comes to longer range than they're to. Agreed. I mean, for me, I don't, I, I'm not, my ethics are my ethics, T's, carries. It's an individual thing, right? And it's a value set thing. And, and a lot of what drives me crazy about either the value set topic or the ethics topic is the judgment that we find in our community as we kind of touched on, um, because Ron is more capable behind a rifle. I shouldn't be judging his ability and, 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 you know, putting my limitations on him and now I'm creating his value set or ethics set or, you know what I mean? Like I can't lead that to him and I wouldn't expect that, you know, like Tater said that, that close shot out, dude, I've draw down on a deer at 118 yards and I have no problem sending that arrow. Uh, you know, I've been a little bit shy on the range time this year in terms of distance because I've been so busy. So I would temper it back, right? We went to the range yesterday 
We set out at 80 yards, had a couple good shots. I had an outlier. Um, we had a couple bad shots and one good shot. I walked up to 60 yards, right? So if I was going hunting tomorrow, I'd be like, hey, I'm 60 yard max right now. So I think that it's this ever changing, ever moving target. But who am I to bleed what I think on the next guy and, and vice versa, versa, vice versa? Um, the, okay, so the, this, one of the biggest things for this, for this, class the weekend right is wind wins the game period in my book if you know that wind if you if that wind call is right and you do what you're supposed to and what what we were instructed to do behind that rifle you're you're money i mean you're you're center mass shots all day long who can argue that not a daggone person So Diego, how did you, how did that, how did that work for you? So we'll go Diego, then we'll go Drew, and then I'll let uh, Denise talk about wind a little bit because that was huge. And and I spent a lot of time analyzing everything about the wind. I mean, I was going psychopath because I was, you know, as a spotter, and we haven't really talked about it. As a spotter, there's a there's a level of pressure that that you don't expect, right? You think you know going into it, hey, I'm gonna look through the glass. And I'm going to do this. Well, you don't realize that everything that that shooter is doing, less proper position and and proper hold and, you know, pulling that trigger real nice, everything is based on the spotter. So if you have a bad wind call, um, you know, you have, and before you guys got on, Denise and Ron, we were laughing because uh, we all said, you know, like, I didn't, we had two rounds. I didn't want the daggum instructors to take over. Like, that was a goal. It was like, stay out of this. (laughs) But it became a big deal, right? It was like, okay, I don't, I don't want to let my shooter down. Um, So D, how did the wind play into it for you, man? And, And how were you able to work through that? And how was that pressure for you? So first off, I thought it was crazy. I had already knew this, but it it just went into like more and more detail about the mirage and like looking how the which way the wind's blowing the rain and all that stuff. And one thing that I really thought was cool as a shooter is uh, back here at home when I was shooting is I would just dial it dial it into my scope and there at um, the course we were just holding wind we weren't dialing so I thought that was really cool. Um, let's just say that when we got home, me and dad had this little, uh, like Caldwell wind, um, thing, Kestrel. But when we got home, let's just say we got a bunch of Cabela's gift cards together and bought uh, a real Kestrel. That's awesome. Drew, are you, are you there? Cause you're frozen and I'm not hearing you. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. I'm not frozen. I'm just not moving. i'm kind of frozen in my own right um so wind was a big thing for me man like i with the whole spotting aspect of it if i can catch trace i was confident but if i was missing the trace that's where i was struggling you know and i was able to make those calls on the wind if i was able to see it you know, we, what was it? The, I think it was the second day. We weren't really getting good trace on the, on the course. And, you know, I was, I was really struggling and Denise helped me walk through a lot of that. And I started getting a lot more confident with it. But then when we went over to OP Delta, 
I think that's where my confidence really started rising because like we were having some calm moments and then, you know, the wind would jump up, jump up. And I know, I don't know if it was the, the second morning or if it was the third morning they had brought, you guys had brought up spin drift and honestly the spin drift. And I, I think I even told you guy, once we started getting out past like six, 700 yards, even if I thought the wind hold should have only been like 0.3, I was adding, you know, 0.1 or 0.2 just for the spin drift because I was able to watch your round. Once it hit apex, it wasn't coming down straight anymore. You were getting some pretty good drift on your down from apex. So for me to be able to watch that and, you know, call wind off of that, it, it was, I, I mean, I owe it all to the DR team. Like, that that right there shows that you could take somebody that knew nothing about any of that in a weekend and you know as a spotter i could put guy on target just from what you guys taught me in two days so okay so there's a couple things but we'll come back to it um trevor talk about wind a little bit and and how that played into it for you um you know, wind wind was I always knew wind was a huge deal living in Wyoming because I don't know there's not many days that aren't windy in most parts <laughs> of the state. But um until I guess we were taught the you know, the the mill or the MOA conversions for for putting that, you know, a, a full value wind at, at six hundred yards and adjusting accordingly. It, it was it was like like teaching Mandarin to to a deaf person only using words. <laughs> and so, like once once Ron and Denise and the whole crew broke it down for Bless me, you. it was it was a brand new tool in my kit that I'd previously only only read about, mm-hmm. and it was it, it was pretty awesome. Um, just the confidence that came with not only being able to to call the wind in your head but also to to make that adjustment tell diego to send it and then watch that trace come in and do do a perfect impact was just astronomical um it it just reaffirmed that everything that they were telling us there was a reason they were telling us so so one of the things you know just touching on what drew was saying and i want denise to kind of take that is being able to understand the wind enough and what it's doing downrange and, and be able to judge it versus, so I'm going to call that the blind wind call, right? That first shot, because if we're looking at an animal downrange, I, I want to be able to call the best of my ability an accurate wind call for a vital impact, right? Versus a trace on a follow-up if it's a bad shot that that to me is the worst case scenario so with that being said denise what what can be done or what should one do in it and i know it's range time um but how does that play in right those good solid first wind calls versus watching that trace because a lot i think i don't think it was till the third day that we really had good trace out there at op delta sure and the, and the trace 
problem was because it was overcast with all the rain, it's harder to see the trace, you know, compared to a nice sunny day. I think the using the wind formula that was given is, is the key and not guessing. Um, Ron says it all the time, there's always wind. And we know with those higher calibers, your 6.5 Creeds, PRCs, 300s, um, they're shooting flatter and they're, they're ballistically better than some of the older calibers. Um, so you don't have to call for as much wind, but if you don't use some wind and use that wind formula, then that's where the air comes into play. And then all of a sudden you're shooting at a mover then shooting at a still target after that first shot. As a spotter, I always, when I'm at a new range at a new target at a range, the first thing I always think of is what's my win, what's my win formula for that distance. So I go over that, even though I've spotted for as long as I have, I don't change my mindset on using my wind formula and going through my step processes as a spotter, hundred percent. Yeah. Cause that, I mean, that is a, it's an eye opener, right. To, to watch. And even, even to be out there and start analyzing the wind calls you're hearing, even when you guys would take over and evaluate what the instructors are saying, you know, to correct those. Cause there was a couple of times it was like, Oh, I don't, you wouldn't agree with all the calls you heard. Um, of course. And it is, it's a very, it, it's, it's an aspect of it that I didn't expect to take so much away from. Um, but hugely, hugely important when you, you know, it's one thing to translate it to steel, but then we translate it to a live and breathe and being, um, well, you, there's no, in my opinion, there's no room for error in that, in the wind call. I, I think it's just, it, it's huge. I mean, knowing what your dial is, is dialed on the rifle or that validation of data is, is only second to the wind call, in my opinion. The wind calling is art. That's the art of, of long range is understanding the environmentals and being inside the environmentals. Um, as an instructor, I challenge my wind calls every time somebody calls a wind call. Um, as a student or another instructor, I do the same thing you just said, Guy. Do I agree? Don't, don't I agree? I'm, I'm kind of curious of where his wind call or her wind call may go um, if I don't agree. There's always room for learning. Um, and that's a judgment call for wind as well. And you can't learn the wind if you're not out there um, kind of pushing yourself when you're traveling and you're outside kind of wondering what that wind's going to do or how that wind feels on you. Um, but I, I use the wind formula 100%. I never deviate. Um, and, and there is on some of the calibers, like I said, some shoot faster. So you have a percentage that you take off and you know that by paying attention to that caliber if you're lucky enough to spot behind the same caliber all the time. Um, but man, I use that one formula every time I go to a range without a fail. So how does, how does, we talked about the, the spin drift a little bit, right? Cause Brian and I had a conversation about it at OP Delta and you know, we were pretty flat in terms of wind where we were laying down. And then you look at, I want to say we were, I want to say it was at the Buffalo when I had asked him the question and it, and it appeared to be pretty flat down range. And I was trying to figure out how much spin drift was going to affect us in, you know, call it a flat wind, right? Uh, how much of that spin drift should we take into account? I would say probably not as much as wind. So I, Ron is, is better at that than I am guy. I, 
I go by the environment and I, there's so many key factors in long range shooting that are very important, like spin drift and, and everything else. I'm going to go by my wind hundred percent of the time. Um, I, I tend to not pay attention to that. Um, and maybe I should, but, um, you know, I feel like I'm successful in just really working that wind formula more than anything. Right. Well, and, and I'll hit on it. So it depends on your caliber, you know, your, your caliber, your bullet weight, your speed. So your spin drift, you remember in the class, we talked about a 308 as a standard. There's your old Ford truck, the 308. You know, you can count on it. Or Chevy. Or Chevy. Yeah. Whichever's your favorite. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, at a thousand yards, the 308 is going to be roughly six to eight inches spin drift to the right right hand rifling you remember the top on the table as the top slows down it begins to to him and yaw you know and and flow to the right well seven millimeter mag 300 wind mag those are definitely more efficient than a 308 so they're less spin drift now you're talking three and four maybe even two inches for a 300 prc um so there's spin drift is is pretty small really, but you'll you'll start to recognize, um, like in the class, there was there was a couple things just back on wind real quick. The visibility in your class was very poor. You guys were um, it, it was very poor visibility for mirage and seeing trace until we got those little pieces of of sun that broke out. So you guys did a phenomenal job with the environment we had. Yeah, that that's was because we had great instructors. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's our next, that's kind of our next bullet here. Um, you know, I, and I want to talk about, and we might as well do it with Ron and Denise here is talk about the DR delivery, right? That delivery system. Um, like I said earlier, I don't think, I don't think that half of this and the takeaways, it, it, it could have been just way different. Like I said earlier, I, I think that the way you guys approach it, meaning DR, um, the way that it's laid out, it, it's just, it was next level. Um, it was absolutely next level. And, and and Ron said it a few times. Hey, if it, if it takes us five minutes extra or it takes us 45 minute extra, we're going to stay on this until everybody is there. I think Drew had said it earlier, right? You know, no one, no one's left behind on that. So I'm going to just start uh, in order. I see you guys on the screen. Trevor, why don't you touch on DR's delivery? Um, I, I know I've said this and, I think the couple Instagram posts that I've made about it, but, and everybody I've talked to about it, the, the delivery was absolutely spot on. It was, um, unlike anything I've seen before in that aspect, usually these classes the the instructor is, is teaching to the quickest method or the most efficient method. They're not teaching to get everybody on the same, same page, let alone the same, same line or same word. They're just teaching from a canned presentation and they're moving forward. You know, they've, they've got a set syllabus that at this time we're going to be doing this at this time, we're going to be doing this and, and they won't deviate for that. Even if they can see people are struggling with it. Um, whereas the way that Ron and Denise and their crew worked, it was, this is what we're going to teach right now for this part of the day but we're not going to move on from this until everybody understands it and everybody can properly apply it um which i think by by their method of doing that 
it, it takes down the intimidation factor from long range shooting because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of shooting you've done before or what kind of, you know, hunting you've done before long range is intimidating because it's, it's something that most people don't have the opportunity to go out and, and practice it at the distances we were shooting at. So to come in there and say that, okay, by the end of this, you're going to be shooting out to these crazy distances with confidence. It was just, it was unreal, but you could see it in everybody as the class progressed, you know, as the class days progressed that they're not kidding. Like when you're, when you're done with that class, you're going to see a target at 900 yards and not only are you going to be confident shooting it, you're going to call your hit. Well, your spotter is going to call your hit, but you're going to, you're going to be able to engage that target and not second guess when you, when you press that trigger. All right, Diego, you're across from Trev on this. So, DR delivery, what did you think about your, your instructors? So, like Trevor said, they they weren't going to leave no one behind, which I thought was really cool. And, like, if someone didn't get it and everybody else did, uh, they would go over there and help that person to get on the same page with everybody else. Like, whenever I had to switch from MOA to Mills, and I didn't get it. Denise was right there with me, helping me spot to get on target. So it was it was awesome. Go ahead, Drew. So for me, the the big thing is, you know, everybody learns different. Uh, me personally, I learn better by doing. Not everybody learns like that. Some people are good at you know reading comprehension and learning that way. Other people are, you know, learned by instruction. I learned by doing and to see the way that the entire DR crew was able to work with those different learning styles and learning curves was amazing to me. I mean, we had everything from Diego at 12 years old, you know, all the way up and, you know, different aspects and, and different, different equipment, you know, different scopes with different reticles and they were able to teach everybody and get us all to understand it at our own pace, but at a pace fast enough to, to progress through the class without, you know, entirely holding everything up. You know, we had a long day the first day. I think Ron, I think you said it was, you know, it was kind of a longer day, but we wanted to get to a certain point. You know, because I think that first day we were 14 hours or something yeah. like that. <laughs> but we were Sorry. all no, it was, by that the was end of that hours. day. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but by the end of that day, we were all right where we needed to be. Right. Exactly. And and it was because of the way you guys teach everything. Well, I appreciate that. And I'll say this. We needed to be there that day. And, and that's where as we become engaged, you guys were engaged with mm -hmm. us. It was amazing. We felt the engagement right off the bat. And that's important for an instructor to feel that they're engaged and they're picking up what we're putting down and, and putting faith in us. And I appreciate that. You know me well enough now that if, if you're, I, I appreciate so much that you trust our team. That means the world to me, but we've got a job to do. And, and, you know, when we pull back for lunch, we'll have those little one-on-one -on -one discussions together. Like, all right, 
here's where we need to be this afternoon. And we need to go back and tune this up with this team and this team. We got it done. And, and because of you, you guys were phenomenal people. So anyway, um, right on. It was, yeah, it was like 13 hours, I think. I mean, really, the, the, the days. No, not at all. The, the days were plenty long in terms of hours, right? And I don't think we, we were really paying attention to that, right? And I think it was just like, wow, we're getting all this information and look at this this progression that I'm seeing in myself and my team and my friends. Elmer, what's up, There buddy? he is. Uh, there's the guy. Look at um, my airport partner. So, yes, sir. You know, I, I don't – I don't think that uh, I don't think any of us were really complaining about time. I might complain about time because of what I had to do after we left, but <laughs> but it was just it, it it didn't feel you know you look at the time when we were driving away and I'm like dang it's that you know it's that late already you didn't realize it, it right it we wasn't were, it wasn't long enough right we were there to spend the time on the range so that was one of the things I was like shoot I appreciate that um, Mr Burnside on the DR delivery. You know, I, we've all said it. You know, uh, I've been in those classes too where, you know, this time we're doing this, this, and this, and there's people that get left behind. You know, uh, some of us, a few of us could have got left behind, but the uh, DR brought each one of us along. You know, we may, we may have to work through this problem, understanding why this is going on, you know, uh, but they brought each one of us through. You know, pulled us off to the side, talked us through it. You know, my problem, my scope, I could have I could have been left behind the first day. But Ron, hey, we're going to work through this. You know, this uh, we're going to do this, go through it. And uh, I mean, they're all the instructors. I mean, uh, you know, each one of them. I talked to each one of them during different times and uh, talking about different things we could do to make this work, what, you know, who was doing this. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it. You know, to be able to go in and understand long range, all the principles of it, uh, you know, basically knowing zero like everybody else uh, and to be able to get those principles down the first day, you know, second day, we're, we're going out repeating the what we did the, the uh, first day shooting and we're all on target. I mean, there's no there's no uh, learning curve. I mean, right away, we're all doing it. And uh, yeah, I, th- I just thought the delivery was spot on. Everything, everybody's brought along for the whole ride. I mean, nobody's left behind at all. I, I got to say something there, guy. Craig. I, that's Craig. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say something, guy. So, Mike, <laughs> I, I wrote this already, but I've got to say it to you. And right here in front of everybody, I can't tell you how proud I was on call day. When you hit that coyote three for three, I forget the distance, what, 740 or 720 or something like that. Coyote was this tall, three for three. I think you were on stadium line at six power. (laughs) That was outstanding, brother. Yeah. Ron's talked about that quite a bit. It was outstanding. I was so proud of you. What was what was funnier is is to watch is to watch Mike stand up and the S eaten grin that he had on his, I mean, it was like, this is a giant 12 year old with gray hair. 
<laughs> it was like this dude, he stood up and it was like kid, you know, kid in the candy store. And it was like, look at, look at how impressive that is. Like he realizes what he was doing. We all realized it. And it was just like, wow. But to see Mike stand up and I think we were all like, we were just cracking up. I wish yeah, I could say what I was, what we were really saying over there, but uh, yeah, it was, it was phenomenal <laughs> I mean, to watch that. How remarkable that is with the equipment situation he had. It's a kick in the knee. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, and we all knew it. Everybody knew it. And his first nine rounds, I think it was nine rounds. If I remember I right, so. the first nine rounds on cool morning were, were, or an OP Delta on OP Delta were all hits. I was just thrilled. Now, I was I was controlling the emotion as much as I could, but I mean, we were doing some outstandings and kind of anyway. I got video. I got video that says otherwise about the control of emotion. <laughs> you know, no, no, nobody could have told me that I'd be you know hitting steel at thousand ten yards on four and a half power. I was just like, there's no way that's possible. I mean, that's. That's why I just can't. I just can't sing the praises enough for what you know what we're able to do on uh, helping me be on target. That was nuts. Yeah, and your attitude was gorgeous, man. I mean, it was it was contagious. It was awesome. The whole deal was incredible. Just you people. I mean, the people make it all. We got a complete lesson in Kentucky windage, Tennessee elevation, and Oklahoma magnification. (laughs) (laughs) One sitting. Like I don't even know how else to put that. Because Mike, it was, a, it was just... a Midwest milestone. <laughs> that was nuts. Mike, what were you shooting just for people that listen to this? And was what shooting. was your scope? It was a it was a Vortex Razor, but it only had it had a BDC reticle. So there were no there were no target turrets. Uh you know, I had no adjustments. It was a three to fifteen power. And I had uh That's crazy. I had two hash marks on my vertical. And I had smaller, smaller uh, posts on my horizontal reticle. So it just and out, you know, over a thousand yards on the stadium line at crazy. four power. Yeah. All the stadium, unbelievable. And and he did he did have some adjustments, but we decided to use the BDC reticle, and um, you know for hunting purposes. But it wasn't a target turret, but it is adjustable. Just yeah. for the record, yeah. but anyway, it, it was awesome. Go ahead, Tater. Um, I guess just in the simplest words, the ability to teach complex information for like what you I, – I thought I heard someone said earlier, Kale had like two hours behind a rifle his entire life, and me, like pretty much – the guns I shot were muzzleloaders. To teach such complex information in that short, just a week, guys, you know, that's not that long. And to teach that kind of information that quickly and nobody being left behind, that shows you the quality of the teacher. Yeah, the students obviously were catching on, but everything, as we know, starts at the top. Yeah. So that comes from from great teachers, and we we know my weekend was a little different with some health things that came up, 
but what was neat from my view being back a little bit watching the instructors how they are like a family like ron being that big brother that when i got there late now the team's complete you know i had to pull my shades down man i i couldn't i just you know i felt a part of the team brian being that silent kind of big brother that doesn't have to say a word that i got your tip you know jake being that other brother that you know you can talk to and would just talk whitetail and just soothe you and then denise kind of that mama bear like <laughs> get down here shoot the rifle a couple times and hit 1060 making sure you're a part of the family and get that comforting hey i know you've had a tough tough couple days but you're part of our family it was just it was it was family just maybe different blood but that, that doesn't mean we want you family indeed brother carrie yeah well, I'm looking around at all of these different Brady Bunch squares right now on my screen, and maybe I should be looking up depending on whose screen is whose, but I'm looking around at these, and every single face I see on there, uh, talk about the DR uh, delivery, um, every single person on there is a member of the Thousand Yard Club and beyond, um, and that goes directly back to the teaching in terms of just successional, digestible uh accessible to every student that was in that class and um you know not only is every person on the screen um somebody that that is part of that thousand yard club but we're all better people and better people shooters and um you know friends because of going to this course and that was because of the environment that that class uh, creates i mean every single person when they hit target and or when that light went on and you know they had successes everybody was rooting for them you know that goes back to that ego checked at the door thing which is part of the environment that they create there part of part of that is every single person that i'm seeing on the screen right now and just mm -hmm. the content of their character but a huge part of that goes to just how that class is set up and how it's how those building blocks are put together, um, not only for the class, but to support, you know, leaving that ego being checked at the door. And it was just a phenomenal class in terms of just what I walked out of or what we all walked out of uh, with information, but also just being a ton more rich in friendships as well as that knowledge. And that, that goes back to the atmosphere that's created. And I'm so grateful for that. You guys do excellent work. That was amazing. Oh, thank you. And you're, I'll tell you this, the little barrel that could. <laughs> I saw it. That was amazing. You did awesome. And uh, I'm, as I told you there, I'm honored to know each one, truly, without a doubt. Well, it's that, Carrie, with you, it's that, it's that confidence, that silent confidence is so important to have. You know, you can have ego or you can have silent confidence. And everybody had silent confidence, which is so important just to be able to battle everyday life. But I loved watching that perfect form, that the the beauty of, of rifle shooting, long range rifle shooting was behind everybody. But Carrie just picked it up so quickly and just melded into her gun. And it, it's so fun to watch um, when you see that, when you see people just meld into what we like in body position and um, just, you know, 
dance with that gun as you're as you're bringing steel it's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch for sure yeah that was that was phenomenal in terms of you know the few times that i had uh that i had tried my hand at prone shooting up to that point um potentially it was because i just hadn't really uh, built up what i felt was you know a confident position but um, just trusting you guys to get me to where I needed to be. And so if, if you said, you know, if, if any one of the instructors said, Hey, why don't you try your finger like this? You're, you know, you're kind of offset. So make sure that your, your fingers fully on that pad so that you're pulling back into yourself. You know, you want those straight lines. Um, just the foundational mechanics that you guys provided us. Um, that's, lifetime knowledge i said it before and i'll say it again but it's lifetime knowledge to build upon so super grateful for getting that opportunity to learn from you guys awesome denise do me a favor turn your phone because you guys are laying on your side my uh phone was about to die oh you oh, plugged it in yeah there we go yeah. all right okay. so shoot uh expectations were far exceeded than what i actually like thought of I already had high expectations, but they blew it out of the water from the bare bones basics all the way out to our windage calls and our MOA. It just, they simplified it to a point where I think it was with Drew, um, the hour and a half had extra, I think. I was making calls for him and he was using a mill red. I was able to make that easy adjustment like it was butter. I had confidence in calling those calls and not have a doubt. Like, they made it so much, how can I say in the word, the simplicity of it was just phenomenal. And you, you made sure, that? like, if you have, well, that, that was a big word, so. <laughs> Good job. I knew that was going to bite me. But, uh, I couldn't resist. Uh, the, the biggest thing for me was, since I was able to use everything, and even if I couldn't understand something that they were, like, teaching, I wasn't afraid to ask questions. And I think with a lot of courses besides ours, I don't think a lot of people would want to ask questions because of the way they portray it. And here in this class in general, you were able to ask questions if you did not understand something. And that was something I noticed very quickly is if you didn't understand, make sure you ask questions because they will help you. Yeah. Again, there, that, that to me is the egos, you know, there, there were none. Right. And a lot of times, you, you know, like I said, going into that stuff, you think that there's going to be some, uh, and they're just, I, I, that goes back to what Ron and Denise said about the people in the class, but as well as the instruction, um, you know, and for me, one, one of the, another one of the standout things was what Ron said early on, right, is that the instructors will even check and balance each other. If someone didn't agree with a call on the instructor's side, that the instructor was going to chime in or call out, like, you know, oh, hey, let's talk about this. And, and that's very, very atypical, right, because I think Trevor said it, it's usually a canned presentation, right? This is what we're doing, and there's no interruption in that. There's no check and balance, and I think that check and balance – at least for me, it adds a level of comfort, right? I, I have no problem being called out on something uh, at any point or calling out someone on something if, if I find error in it or have, you know, or want to have a question answered. So I think that was hugely important to see that um, checks and balances going through and then to look at the diversity and the dynamics of this group. I mean, we have a 12 year old, right? We got, you know, Mike and we got Sil, you got Tate, that, you know, muzzleloader bow hunter guy. Um, it's just if you can if you can 
how do I explain that so people listening can understand? If you can understand the diversity and how dynamic this group is in terms of all the different, and, and Drew said it, the AVK, right? Auto, video, uh, visual, and kinetic. If you can understand the diversity and the dynamic of this group and to have everyone ringing the same targets going down the line, it, it's it's un it's flipping remarkable to witness it. It is you feel like I'm you are a part of something. You're not there just getting instruction yourself. And then I was trying to ignore the MOA thing. I was like, okay, I'm on my mill. I put this mill scope on. I don't even want to hear this MOA stuff, right? I'm I'm trying to dumb it down for myself. And you know, part of that was I wanted to dumb it down, but the other part was I got to get these cameras. I'm filming, doing all this. When we started, the more I heard the MOA calls, I was like, okay, that's this far over on that distance. You, you just, it just clicks, right? And that was, and that was another realization for me. It was like, wow, what they're doing, this stuff is translating and I'm not even really paying attention to it, right? Because I'm worried about what me and Drew are doing. But then I hear, you know, Syl and Carrie making calls and I'm like, oh, Syl just pull carry off the target god dang it um i said it earlier uh, so i remember i turned around ron took over for me and he made a call and i was like bullshit <laughs> sorry Drew. sorry sorry d but i'm like that's bs call and it missed and i was like boom i knew it right i knew it but but to to be able in that little span of time three days is nothing it is absolutely nothing to go and to watch not just for me to go but for me to watch everyone progress that far that fast and and confidently Oh my goodness. Like there is, there is, there's no reason that Ron should be saying, Oh, I just depend on you guys to say something. I can't talk. It, it is amazing. The delivery period. So anywho, that's my rant. What I would like to do though, is Elmer just jumped on. Um, and Elmer had a different perspective, right? So Elmer is there with Diego as basically, you know, it's that's chaperone. Um, so Elmer's perspective, he was able to take everything in, right? And it's a big deal for me to see our our woman and our only bow hunter and our young man all progress the same way through this course. Elmer, what was your take on DR's delivery? And, and as a father, as a guide, how big of an impact do you see that instruction level at DR happening? It was huge because, like you said, I mean, I just got on here. We messing with goats and stuff, but the whole delivery from a 12-year-old to a bow hunter to all different walks of life and hunters um, to be able to everybody come together with the same goal and achieve it, it's pretty amazing, the instruction there. Um, and as a parent, it's it's good knowing that there's still good people in this world raising Raising kids, the stuff you see out there, um, it's not easy to do these days. Um, but knowing that he's got every, all you guys in his corner and a lot of people watching out for him and the direction that you guys are helping steering him, it's always a positive thing. So we're, we're appreciative of it. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. I had high expectations going in, right? Because Ron and I talked and 
and Drew will tell you, right? I'm going to look at everything. Like I will analyze something till I'm blue in the face, but I'm not doing nothing I don't feel comfortable with. And I think I said it graduation or something. And I didn't want to let Ron down more than anything. I didn't want to let Ron down. And I was like super, super worried about that. But then it got to the point where it was like, I'm not gonna, my shooter is on point. I'm not gonna. <laughs> and that, that really, you know, that stemmed from that level of instruction. And I think Sill would say the same thing in his worries in terms of being behind Carrie and, and her absolute ability. Um, you know, Carrie's very capable, right? She proves that she just proves it, right? We don't need to go in that. She just proves it. And I know Sill was, he, when he, when I said it, when I said, this is the pairing, Sill looked over at me and was like, what in the, did you just do to me? But to see oh, his, it wasn't even funny. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but to see his, like... to see your confidence level, you know, elevate and that's that's due to you know what you were doing and you taking it in but i i lend a lot of that success to what ron denise brian zach hunter everybody was doing out there it was just it was amazing so i, I had a couple more bullets and then the one thing i want to touch on and we'll just do a couple people right is is like factory gear or factory you know weapons and factory rounds and that's one of the things that ron has talked to me about since you know day one like hey bro i don't shoot reloads i shoot factory and and a lot of what we hear is you got to have this you got to have that yeah it plays into it right for me i i liken it to like building arrows um you want the most accurate setup as possible but i was shooting a factory rifle um on a scope that i had just put on carrie was factory uh we talked about what mike was shooting still he's a little built up uh tate was shooting a built up i gotta let drew back in um but my, my rifle was primarily is pretty much factory all i really did was just add a scope a break and a trigger but other than that it's pretty much a factory gun from the factory from remington so, I mean, with that being said, we're, you know, I, I don't know that we all, I, I think with the right instruction, I, maybe I'm going back to that some, uh, you know, roundabout way, but I think it's the, the right instruction, right? Understanding the capabilities of those, of those uh, weapons and, and really being able to dial that in. Um, that was an eye opener for me because the only thing I looked at is I would love to have the adjustability in my stock. Uh, after that, I noticed that, you know, just, just having my cheek combed, you know, up and down, it just, it didn't lend itself. And I did, I did have some issues in terms of really finding that comfort uh, and that's one of the things I started playing with when I got back but uh, I, I don't I don't know because I, I Ron's gun I mean, you guys tell me that rifle oh <laughs> I was looking at that I was doing the so doing the videos you know and trying to edit through all that and and pick stuff out and I would get to that and I'd watch Ron on that rifle and I'm like oh my god that I have to have that rifle <laughs> but what do you care what do you think in terms of you know that factory versus that you know that that custom rifle and, and reloads and things like that you know I guess maybe it's you talk about your comfort level or what you know and for me I, I started out hunting with a, um, a Remington model 700 Woodstock 243 was at seven years old. That's what I shot all the way through high school, or at least until my sister graduated and I got the 270. Um, but so that's really all realistically all I knew. So when I got into rifles myself, um, the rifle that I brought to this class was my 
uh, Remington Model 7 243. Um, and it wasn't necessarily my first choice, um, but my second choice would have been a factory rifle as well. Um, it, or my first choice was my my 270, which is a, a Kimber Mountain Ascent. Um, and I heard it said multiple times throughout the course that you know the majority of the equipment that we're using, um, we as the humans are the limiting factor, not necessarily the rifle. Um, I mean, there, there's to a point, you know, your optics, uh, the rounds that you're using, but realistically, it was pretty well demonstrated through the course, or at least for the two factory rifles that we had on the deck there, um, that us as the operators were a more limiting factor than, than the rifles that we were utilizing. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily turn my nose up at a, a factory, um, a factory rifle versus a custom build any day, especially, you know, depending on somebody's goals or their budget. Um, it, it seems to do it. Well, now would I take that 243 and try to shoot a living creature out at 1260, even if I was really comfortable? No, because it would probably just, uh, you know, spank it. It was quite on the deck to hear when I, when I shot out that far, if it had been an actual Buffalo, it probably would have been turning around to try to headbutt its buddy. Cause it just thought it got spanked, but, um, <laughs> but realistically, I mean, um, if you want to save the money for, for, for a couple of tags versus the rifle setup that you have, um, it realistically to me, I'm, I'm probably not going to go and run out and grab a, a factory gun. Cause it was pretty well proven that I am the limiting factor, which I've known for a long time. Not, not my rifle setup. Trevor, take a stab at that, man. Um, Gosh, the so the rifle I was shooting was well the rifle I was shooting for half of it was uh just factory savage ultralight. Um nothing special about anything. I hadn't done anything to the rifle and it was a sweetheart. It it did good until the scope failed. But I think most of this stuff it's all it's all a mindset. Once you wrap your head around the, the concept that it's not the tool that makes the makes the operator. It's the operator that makes the tool. Everybody's going to have this, I guess, keeping up with the Joneses idea of, well, they're shooting this big fancy setup and they're reaching out and doing it. That's because they put the work in. So it doesn't matter what, what you're shouldering. It matters what you do with, with that weapon. Uh, and anybody can pick something up and if they put the time and the dedication into it, they're going to, they're going to make it happen. But consistency in that training is what separates those people um, that that are like Mike and like Carrie um, that can step up and reach out and do all this stuff because they've been shooting those those guns. They know what they do. They know how to run them. Um, they're going to separate the people that are constantly moving on to something different and can't figure out why they can't consistently hit targets at distance. So but as far as like factory ammo versus reloads, we had a mix of all of it there. And there was there was no big separation. Like nobody stood out leaps and bounds ahead of anybody else because of because of ammo or because of a big high speed custom gun. It was all what what the person behind the weapon and behind the glass was doing. Ron Denise, what uh, what's your thoughts on the the factory versus the the custom? Yeah. I, I thought that that was a, a good a good round there, and we're we're Drew ended up. Or I mean, Trevor ended up um, 
you can't buy your you can't buy your way into this. You can't buy your way to success. And and to pinpoint that for a confident hit, time after time after time, you may buy your way into a lucky round, but not confidence over time. Um, you know, stepping out and I mean, we we all do the same thing, really. We're we're all hunters. And when I need my rifle to operate, it's not 15 rounds in. It's the first one. What is that? What is that saying? Uh, a one a man with one gun is a feared man. Um, I think really it becomes to what you um, you could chase guns. Our son used to chase guns a lot, and and you don't have that quality of skill unless you're behind the same rifle. Um, if it fits for you and it works for you. You know, and there's benefits to having a custom build, um, just like there's benefits to to customizing your bow, uh, making it work for you independently. But, um, man, if you just get behind your gun, it's your gun, and you know that gun intimately, and you you can just um, feel it when you're, when you're shooting, then that's the key 100%. Reloads. I think reloads is reloading is um, I respect it. it I'm, I'm a little afraid of doing it myself because I know it's an important thing to get correct. So I think if somebody's going to reload, they should really do their homework and understanding the importance of, of what happens if there's a screw, what that's going to do to you or your gun. Um, so I think reloading is cool. I just think um, it needs to be taken seriously. But factory works great for us. We've never had any problems with factory. My grandpa taught me how to reload at a young age. And that was a wonderful time with my grandpa before he passed. But now, on the light side of things, I'm, I'm hoping she takes up reloading. <laughs> so, <laughs> that would be amazing. I'm babysitting the grandbaby. Right? I, I mean, I'm too busy, man. I don't yeah, want time. to. I, yeah, it's yeah, time consuming. It's time. You have to respect was, it for sure. And yeah. one, one last note, I want the students that come to the class to see the demo done with I mean, obviously, it's a custom rifle. A beautiful, a beautiful I want them custom to see rifle. It done. <laughs> yeah, mine, mine is still prettier, though, guy. <laughs> you have a know, nice gun, Denise. Yeah, it is. I was drooling over Ron's the whole time. <laughs> I, I, I want them to see it that's done. That's why I was blowing kisses in his ear. <laughs> I was feeding him crawfish. I'm gonna say it, buddy. I'm gonna say it now. I was feeding Ron crawfish, crawfish and blowing oh, man, kisses in his ear. Awesome. <laughs> that's brotherhood right there. I'm I'm just saying you're lucky I couldn't get my camera out fast enough, Ron. Because there would have been a video of the feeding. Oh, that was so fucking that was just great. That was awesome. All right, so Good let's time. run let's run through some closings real quick. Um I'll start this one, you know, for me, um, and I said it on graduation, I'm gonna say it again to watch taking the giveaway thing and to watch everybody come together and, and to see the camaraderie and the level of absolute respect that everybody had and to take people that are from across the nation, right. And to come together in one spot. You know, at times the, the, this podcast is very consuming. There's times where it's like, screw this. 
that weekend solidified it for me, right? To see, to see that was just, that's what made it for me. It was one of the things that made it for me, right? And that's one of the things that, that just, it's not even like a pat on the back, but it's like, this is what I believe in, right? This is what makes it, um, you know, and, and, and I could, you know, I, you guys could look at me all weird. I love every one of you guys. Um, that time that I spent with you guys was, you know, that was exceptional. Um, that increased it. Right. And I could get to hang out with my boy D this weekend. Right. And, and, you know, it is, and I don't take it lightly, you know, and Elmer and I had a conversation. I don't take any of this lightly. Uh, I believe in it. And, and, you know, I, it was phenomenal to me. Um, Ron, I, I, I can't, say enough good about you denise the family um and then that includes zach and brian right it was just you know it was next level man i don't know that i've ever experienced something where my heart and and everything was just open at the whole time you know it was just it was an amazing experience through the shooting the steel right i mean that was just that was a byproduct of the entire experience it was just amazing go ahead trev just to carry over well before i get started i don't know if anybody else has watched um ron and denise's reaction every time that we've we've said something about this but it looks like looks like a couple parents while their kids are talking about something awesome that they did while they were growing up like they're just beaming with pride and that's that speaks volumes to the type of people that they are that's that's impressive to see um as far as the class goes and we took a group of strangers that most of us only knew each other because of social media. And now we've, we're family. Like it's, you know, we're, we're all talking about doing hunts. We're talking about doing all this other stuff. But the biggest thing I think that we all took out of this is the, the confidence that we have to see somebody else succeed. At least that's, that's what I took out of it. Yeah, I've always loved seeing somebody, you know, build their way up and, and, and do better than what I can do, but to see how, whenever we got somebody on steel or to see whenever somebody finally grasped a concept, how it was, it was a team celebration or it was, you know, it was, it was team sadness. Um, and that's to, to be able to meet for the first time and then instantly have that, that camaraderie and that teamwork and that, that brotherhood or that family is it's unheard of, especially in, you know, these, these modern times where everything is all about the, the I, me, my, and the instant gratification. It's, you know, I'm sorry for saying this, but it's badass. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's no better way to put it in my opinion. Yeah. And, and I can't wait to, to go through level two with all of you guys. That's it. Um, go ahead, Mike. <clears throat> yeah. I like what Trevor said. I mean, man, most of us, you know, other than just a few, we didn't know each other just on social media, a few interactions. And when we, we bonded right away. It was just like family. Uh, man, I, I, if I was going anywhere, needed someplace to stay, I'd feel free to call any of you. I mean, uh, you know, that's just the way, that's the way we all bonded together. I mean, it, uh, we all came together to, you know, learn how to shoot long range and we also came together became fast friends you know uh yeah just you know ron denise became part of that family uh just you know just can't talk enough about it i mean they uh 
they did such a job, you know, putting us all, you know, putting us all together, had a common goal. This is what we're going to try to, this is what we want you shooting at the end of three days. You know, and, and when I know when I stepped up on that line the first time and I was like, you know, this is when I was shooting at like a six, 700 yard target. And I was like, you're going to have me shooting a thousand yard target. You know, I was, I was a little mortified. But, uh, yeah, they had us all. We are all ringing steel, 1,000 yards. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was just an incredible experience. I mean, just uh, the way we all came together. You know, like everybody said, Diego, we've got high hopes for the future. I mean, that young man is uh, uh, has got a long ways to go, and, and we all became fast friends helping him, helping him go along that way. Indeed. Diego, go for it, buddy. Well, um, <laughs> I don't know. There, I, a lot of it's already been said. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun to get to meet all you guys. Um, I had been waiting forever to get to do it. Uh, Ron and Denise, I was, I was excited to get to go, and I was, I was counting down the days since the first time we decided we were going to do this, and I can't wait to go do the second and third one with all these guys. It's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it will. <laughs> we'll see. It. We'll see how that happy thought lasts when we get on the archery range this weekend. <laughs> okay, we'll see. Um, go ahead, Drew. Man, it's kind of hard to describe the weekend. Like, like everybody said, you know, we all started out as social media friends outside of this group. The only ones that knew each other personally, like outside of social media were guy me and sill and you know to to meet everybody that we'd become friends with from social media you know everybody wants to look at the negatives of social media and then you get a positive like this it's it's pretty amazing like this group of people by the end of that three days it's not friends at that point it's it's family you know and it was i don't know it was it was a really emotional weekend to to meet a bunch of people that i've been waiting a long time to meet tate you already know man i think you're superman you know for for me to meet you it was a highlight and then to meet kenzie that was another one you know thank you mike for bringing your family to meet us yeah, and then Ron and Denise to to bring us into your family and you know introduce us to everybody and you know put together the crab boil at, at, at your place and have us all over and well, mud bugs, you know buddy, to host. Right. Wait, wait, hold on. Sorry. Hey, you shouldn't be <laughs> calling. Bugs. You shouldn't be calling crawfish crab. Tell your wife on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did do that, didn't I? I just realized I did. Yep, that's Erica. a bad one. She's probably standing. She's probably standing outside the door right now. But uh, I mean, it it was just amazing. And then, like Mike said, Diego, with you. I mean, it, it, if we could get a bunch more kids like you out there, the future's bright. No doubt. I think they're out there. We just don't get to hear about them as much as, as Diego is. He's fortunate enough to be in that um, a spotlight that he's in, and he's taking it and running with it with, with the humility. But I have faith in our youth. I think there's a lot of phenomenal kids out there. We just got to find them. For sure. Shake, showcase them. Good stuff. 
Carrie. Yeah, I mean, like to quote Diego, a lot of it's already been said, but I mean, it's just an absolute pleasure to to get to know each one of you in person and look forward to those those next hunts and adventures. And like, um, you know, somebody said they had Mike, I think it was that said he feels like he has a, a spot open in any house across across the countryside. Now, um, the spare bedroom is always open. I really hope that we can get together to try to uh, do um, a hunt here in Washington next year. Um, try to clear your calendars for the 15th through 25th of September if you want to go chase chase deer and bear. Um, but like to center it back to the class, because uh, because all of those friendships obviously were were fortified there. I'm just super grateful for Ron and, and Denise and their their tutelage. Um, I walked out of there not only a better shooter, but a genuinely, and I know I said this in other videos to other people, but a generally better human. Um, being in my line of work that is super stressful and um, I see a lot of stuff that uh, can can be a little bit you see some of the worst of humanity it's really nice to remember and uh, see the highlight reel for the best of humanity and it it every single one of you helps change my mindset and refresh me and I've walked back into Washington a better person uh, from knowing all of you guys and I bring that into my work every day I bring that into my relationships and I'm so excited to continue these adventures with you guys into additional classes and, and adventures from this point forward. So you guys are all rock stars in my book. That's awesome. Who's uh, got the wind blowing? Oh, that's me. My bad. Uh, <laughs> it's hot in here. I've been in here too long. <laughs> <laughs> Still go ahead, buddy. Oh man. What can I say? The experience was phenomenal. I, enjoyed every bit of time with every person in this group it's my family's been a pretty small tight-knit group and with this it expanded a whole lot i enjoyed everybody's time conversations we've had throughout that weekend it's it's phenomenal i'm super happy i did it i cannot wait for the second class that we do next year and game on it's just it's it was fun awesome and last but not least and i kind of did it on purpose mr tate hale bring us home buddy um yeah you know i i sat here and i listened one kind of go through and what i hear is people make the party you know that expression people are what make the party um people matter not things um, for me, obviously, you know, each one of you, how I feel about you. I love you. No doubt. I love you. But for me this weekend and, and it just hit me, you know, back in your, the reflections guy that I, I did for you, I, I spoke about crossing your Rubicon, and that decision that we're going to cross this Rubicon and never look back because we can't. And for me, I can't speak for this individual, but the thing that really hit me um, was Brian on graduation day. I, I, like I said, I can't speak for him, but maybe Ron and 
the good Lord above and Brian know what he was carrying with him all these years. And to think that this group of souls come together, like I said, I can't speak for them, but it just felt in my spirit like that day he crossed his Rubicon on something. And to know that this, maybe that's all this class was for. I, I don't believe, I believe there's so much more that come from it. But what if all this class was for, was for, that. was for these souls to come together and grab him by the hand and say, we're going to cross this Rubicon with you. These three days we have together, we're going to all do it together, brother. And from this day forward, that's that's gone, and you're you're moving forward as your own individual. That Rubicon cross. For me, I, I thought about it the whole way home, um, because in my own walk, some of the feelings and fights, and we all have our fights. Mine's no greater than yours, but it can just beat you down. And that, that to me, just, that took the weekend. If I truly believe it, man, we come together and Rubicons were crossed, lives were changed. And it's because of this guy, Ron Denise, your team, you set us up, you changed a bunch of lives. And anyone that comes in and, and goes through your classes, I think they better be prepared for something <laughs> life changing to happen in their own life. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. Ron, Denise, any, <clears throat> any closings to follow that one? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'll, you go ahead and then I'll go. So what I always get out, you know, what I got out of this class really, truly is I got to know everybody individually. There are rewards as an instructor to see people succeed and why they're there. But what I get out of the class, what I got out of this class is that one-on-one -on -one conversation I had with Tate. Guy, you and I had a conversation and, and Fred, I'm gonna call him Fred and that's my head conversations. And, I know, my, my Fred. Um, and still um, just seeing the excitement for him to be able to share his rifle. Um, Drew, Drew just wanting so much success for, for Guy and, and Guy, I'll never forget you handing me your, you knew I was talking about you and you just handed me your data book because you're like, the rifle guy's not supposed to have the data book. The spotter, and you just handed it to me and I'm like, oh yes, we're letting go of that one thing. It, it, I, I always get out of these classes is the one-on-one -on -one individual conversations that I have a short time to create with people and I get to know them. I try to know them individually besides what their goals are. So when I walk away, Ron and I talk extensively after every class um, about the joys of the people. The success of, of the students is, is talked about but not like the joy of getting to know everybody. That is where I get so much from these classes is I get to, I get to meet great people and I, and I get to help them with the goal of, of whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, they're changing my life because I'm, I'm knowing somebody else that um, cares. I think about me as much as I care about them. So that's where I come out of a class and getting to meet everybody and, and seeing the success and seeing Diego and his dad is awesome. I'd love to see mom pop in too for just a moment. I'd love to get to see who mom is Diego, but um, 
all of that is just phenomenal people. Um, it, the, the boil was, was fantastic. Oh, yeah. um, talking to Trevor and getting to know about him. Those deep conversations are so important to me and I, I take those to heart. Um, and, and I keep those deep inside me as, as uplifting for me to, to keep pushing forward as well. <laughs> I said it there, I'll say it again. I'm, I'm a better man on Monday when the class is over every single class something happens in every class and it's i can't explain it but i think it's because we all come together and we just have good hearts about the weekend you know we just have good intentions um and and we need to get out there and get gritty as human beings we're we're beat down with too easy these days we have a remote control in one hand and a remote control in another hand in our life. We need to get out of our comfort zone and we need to do this thing with super solid people right next to us. And that's exactly what happened this weekend. And to Tate, I, I'll tell you something, Tate. Um, we love you too, brother. Mm -hmm. And I love all of you. I mean, it, it's um, something did something special did happen that weekend and it, and it, um, you know, and, you know, we'll have, we'll have Brian on, on to talk about his side of things, but I'll, I'll tell you, I think, I think it, knowing Brian and I'll just give you my view. I think he was overwhelmed with joy and, and he showed it. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. Well, he was humbled by everybody. I think yeah. I think he appreciates everybody's individual struggles, no matter how small or big they are. Yep. And he took that to heart. And, yeah, and, it, and uh, it, it meant something to him, um, which we've never seen. Um, we see it, he, not, yeah, but not like that. He's just a big teddy bear that yeah. has that strong front. Um, he, he's got a heck of a story and he's quite a, quite a gentleman as well. He's, he's a good man, yeah. my brother, and he's a good Christian man. And I'll, I'll tell you this too, Guy, I, I want to express my thanks to you. Hey, Guy. <laughs> um, and, and in LR2, brother, LR2, that control, we're going to keep peeling that control away from <laughs> and it's going to be uncomfortable in LR2. Oh, but, I mean, we, we know what makes you tick now, right? So it's coming. And, it. and it's going to be amazing. And, and what would even be better? Bring your wife with you. Well, I'll just put her right next to Denise and, and they'll, just, they'll just hammer down. On well, that. and you, you anyway. got it. All your students were vulnerable to to that weekend and you were totally exposed you were exposing yourself and be and being raw and allowing us to to have this process and we we never um take that for granted and we appreciate every moment that you were willing to give us your time is valuable we understand travel was valuable some of you didn't make it home for quite a while and, and we value that um, we value Fred, your time away from your family and, and all of that. <laughs> Diego away from his friends. I mean, we value every bit of that and we don't take any of that for granted um, at all. We know that spring still, you know, with your, I think, girlfriend or future. I think we had a conversation on that, but, um, you know, it's important. And we understand that, that time away from family and, and work and what you had to do to, to get 
here in our little neck of the woods, um, we don't take that for granted. We did it, totally appreciate it. Much gratitude to all of you. I appreciate you. Yeah, I think that goes across the board for everybody as I look at everyone. And I'm sure there's there's some, you know, some stuff not being said and we'll leave it at that and we'll, you know stay quiet on it and i know that we all uh we all felt it and feel it it was a absolutely phenomenal weekend in terms of personal growth the human aspect growth and then taking our you know weapon of choice our tools into what our passion is and and translating that right that uh, just think about how powerful hunting is that's what really brought us together think about how powerful that is that thing that we all love and this and this connection is is driven from that oh my I, I say it all the time right like there is nothing there is nothing that i have ever done or experienced that is better than hunting in terms of what it does to people and the value set and everything that comes out of it is just absolutely f- i'm looking at carrie smiling right now mike nodding his head you know what i mean you got you have jen uh and the whole family there hi ladies how are you Hi. How did uh, oh, there they are. Hi. Beautiful family. <laughs> Beautiful family. You've done a fine job with your son. Truly. Amazing. You Thank really you. have. It's an honor to know Diego and Elmer. Elmer, it was a fantastic weekend getting to know you, my friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank definitely. you. Guy to touch real quick. I mean, I just appreciate what you guys, you know, guy putting it together. And we came back last weekend and shot with Wes. And Wes, he was pretty impressed with the direction he he came back with, you know, um, he goes, they're old school. They did a lot of stuff that, you know, it's, it's none of the new school stuff. This is old school stuff and it's been proven. So um, the Kestrel thing and all that, fixing your windage on the fly, there's no, there's no turning dials. It's you fix it in your scope and send it. So he was, he was pretty impressed with your guys' deal. So it, 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 it was neat and we're thankful for it. So. Oh yeah. It was nice here. All right. Well, we're at two hours, 53 minutes and 25 <laughs> seconds. Can you believe that? So I know uh, yeah, my, my kids are starving to death right now. <laughs> <laughs> Look at, there, there's only one light on in Tate's house. Sun's not down here, though. So I think, and then Carrie, she's further. Look at Carrie's brighter than I am here. So, and for whatever reason, and Sills locked in his car somewhere (laughs) in front of my driveway. All right. If we do this again, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to fix the background here. With Carrie's little antler there, I say little. There's nothing little behind her right there. We're gonna have to fix our backdrop because it's making ours look funny over here. So. I don't know if anybody noticed, but otherwise, I don't. I don't know if anybody noticed, but Trevor moved around to to show off every mount he has behind him. <laughs> I, I think I've seen it. He's like bragging. He's like, there he is. Look, he's there. You go. Over there. The there only go. one that matters is the warthog. <laughs> no, the doo-doo. Yeah, Carl. I, I didn't even show you guys the rest of the walls. We'll just leave it at this one for now. <laughs> we'll be the next Zoom meeting. Yeah. All right, you guys. I appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you for an amazing experience. Thank you for your friendships. Uh, I can't wait until next year. Salivating. And D and Elmer, I'll see you boys this weekend. Have some fun. Get uh, get our Tate showing his foot right now. Yeah, I said, my leg, my leg miss is wrong. 
All right, you guys. We'll, uh, we'll see you guys and talk to you all soon. Thanks. All right, everybody. Bye. Good talking to you guys. Bye. Good to see everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening. Follow Western Contours on Instagram, subscribe on YouTube, and sign up at westerncontours.com. Episodes are available on most major platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.